It's Megacom, the largest comic book, anime, gaming, and multimedia event in the southeastern U.S. returns. Megacon from March 21st through the 23rd, 2014 at the Orange County Convention Center in Magical Orlando, Florida. Confirmed comic book guests include Frank Bruner, Neil Adams, Bill Sinkevic, Mark Wade, Ron Mars, Greg Land, Michael Golden, Dennis Calero, George Perez, Brandon Peterson, Amanda Connor, Jimmy Palmiotti, Collie Hamner, Carl Story, Renee Winterstater, Billy Tucci, and Brian Polito. Just added Nick Bradshaw, Adam Kubert, Dan Jurgens, Mike Miller, Kevin Eastman, Joshua Ortega, Digger, Bart Sears, Ethan Van Skyver, Mike McCone, Frank Thierry, Mike Mayhew, and Chuck Dixon. Confirmed media guests include stars from AMC's The Walking Dead, Torchwood, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Smallville, Battlestar Galactica, Star Wars, Star Trek, and many, many, many more. Plus I, Scott Gardner, will be there representing the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Tickets are available online now at www.megaconvention.com. Children 10 and under are free with paid adult ticket. That's Megacon 2014 at the Orange County Convention Center, Magical Orlando, Florida, March 21st through the 23rd. For information, contact info at megaconvention.com or visit www. Megaconvention.com. That's Megacon 2014. Be there. Hey everybody, Magnus here. This is sort of a pre-preamble. I've got a request. Email me. One trend in fandom that you would love to see the end of. Name it. Anything you want. Whether it's bashing on the new 52 overweight cosplayers, bitching and whining about one more day all these years later, anything. Anything at all. Feel free to include an explanation, too. Email me. The email address is trentusmagnus at gmail.com. That's T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. Trentusmagnus at gmail.com. Email me. Hey everybody, Magnus here. Well, Trentus Magnet for Crazy strikes again. Went to the gas station a while ago to pick up some cigarettes and some lunatic slash fellow customer broke it all down for me. He said that if you've had a divorce and you're not completely broke as a result of it, it wasn't a real divorce. He then gleefully explained that he found this out personally during his divorce from his third wife. Now, under the circumstances, I didn't see what was in it to tell the guy I've never been married to anybody. So I just smiled, nodded politely, paid for my cigarettes, and walked very quickly to the exit. <sighs> I should just stop leaving home. Hey, your attention, please! This is a piece of art. His Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. <laughs> Dr. Doom wears body to conceal his own mangled form. Worst episode ever. Why? 
Who shot first? Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. Trentus Magnus punches reality. I'm your host, Magnus, and around here I write and review poetry. But I'm taking a break from that today to talk about something special. Along for the ride, once again, is Chris Honeywell, who's joining me during a break from an African safari. So, how you doing, Chris? My third safari. I'm doing good. Yeah, you bagged any lions, or what what is it you're out there for? I hit them with tranquilizer darts, because I'm a softie. Oh, all right, taking the more humanitarian thing. All right, so what's the, what's, what's the outcome then for the lion or whatever you're, you're hunting? I, I, attach, I attach cameras to them, and I'm hoping to become rich with viral videos. I figure if people like kitty cat videos, they're going to love my lion videos because they're just kitty cats but bigger. Mm-hmm. So I figure I should get like five to ten times more hits on those. So look out for those. Well, it makes <laughs> sense. I mean, you know, you're probably going to hit that uh, snuff film segment of the market, so I guess that makes sense. I'm hoping. Not yet, but, you know, I'm hoping something's something's going to go down. I mean, we've got a few gazelles and stuff like that, but not a roaming native or, you know, or a, uh, you know someone out on safari. That's oh, what yeah. I've always... Uh, I, I always wanted to do a show called Get Em. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it was all. It would almost be like when animals attack, but it would be more focused and and um, sympathetic to the animals. Right. Because usually it's humans doing incredibly stupid things around wild animals that get attacked. So, and this one would just have voiceover of me going, "Oh, oh, oh get him, get him, get him, get him, get him, get him." <laughs> well, you know that that reminds me of something. Did you ever see that special um, when people attack? And it's basically just a. Uh collection a sort of montage of uh, people basically getting into fist fights right where one person is the clear aggressor and maybe he wins the fight maybe he loses the fight but i swear to god it's like i'm the only one who saw this and i thought it was freaking hilarious because on the one hand it's sort of a parody of all that but it's still hitting the same market when people attack did, as did, if did people weren't, aren't animals anyway <laughs> yeah well i don't know about that well anyway As we said last week, we're taking a break in our review of love poems and sonnets from the Roman Empire to talk about comics. Not just any comic. No, no, this is the Big Book of Hoaxes from DC's Paradox Press, released in September of 1996 and written by Carl... This is a mouthful. How do do you pronounce this, Carl Safakis? Yes, it's some Greek name. That's that's as close as I could really... um come i would think all right all right there's probably some little you know there's probably some little squiggle in the pronunciation to it but that's as close as i think us americans are gonna get oh fair enough so you got carl safakis tom pyre robert lauren fleming carl posey and others with art by terry austin ed hannigan joe orlando frank quietly joe staten freaking ty templeton and others the premise here is pretty simple 
most people are willing to believe whatever bullshit they're told and you just wouldn't believe some of the hoaxes that people have fallen for over the years seriously folks if you have no faith in your fellow man this comic book isn't gonna do very much to change your mind no it's gonna shore it right up <laughs> <laughs> well and it kind of did much. that for me well i mean look i've always been of the opinion that truth is stranger than any fiction mm -hmm. and to me what's interesting here is not just the hoaxes themselves but also who invented the hoaxes and and the people who like basically the crazy number of people who fell for them i mean what do you think Oh, it's, it's, you know, I mean, what was it? Barnum who was somebody who said, don't ever, you know, you'll never go broke misunderstanding the, um, the intelligence of, of the public. And I, you know, what, what really struck me about this book is I kept reading these stories and thinking to myself, man, back in those old, in the old days where <clears throat> you didn't have the internet and you didn't have communication and stuff. Boy, you could really pull off this stuff. But then that immediately, my brain would immediately go, but you know what? <laughs> now that we have that, it's almost actually twice as bad. There's almost daily hoaxes, you know, now that we do have the internet. You can debunk them easier, but at, at the same time, they, they spread even faster. It's if, if you feed people what they want to believe, or you give them a story that... And and it's funny the the um, truth being stranger than fiction. Uh, you know, I mean, most people believe that because I think it's pretty much a law of the universe, and that that helps feed into hoaxes because you can put something outlandish out there and go, I know this sounds outlandish, but and if you're a charismatic enough person, hell, it seems like some of the people in this book weren't even that charismatic, but yeah. you know. If you, if you get a bunch of people who start to believe it, then it's all the easier for other people to believe it, and off it, off it goes. And it's also a matter of not just naivety or um, being credulous. It's being um, lazy and not checking up on stuff. Right. There's a lot of these that could have been stopped, you know, nipped at the bud if an editor had checked on a reporter's facts or something, you know, from the beginning. And Well, even the most... Like any modicum of oversight at the outset could have stopped. So, now, some of this, not so much, but other things like – and, you know, it, it's going to sound bad when I say it this way, but just hear me out, all right? <laughs> uh, I'm going to kind of peel back the curtain a little bit. Uh, Chris and I were actually supposed to get together last week to record mm -hmm. this. Now, what ended up happening was my schedule just – got thrown completely out the window and a lot of things that I hadn't been planning for just kind of came up on me just out of nowhere. It, you know, it sucks, but it happens. Right. And, you know, Chris was a good sport about it. And so, uh, we just, I rescheduled it to tonight. Now in between Paul Walker died, right. Mm -hmm. Between those two things, uh, he passed mm -hmm. away and, um, you know, uh, this isn't to make fun of that or, pick on him or anything it's just i'm only bringing this up to illustrate a point he died in a uh, car crash and that's some details of that are still uh coming out right now but it's it's commonly known now that um that, that he died in a car crash and there was some back and forth when the news first broke 
that maybe this was a hoax. And the reason for that is because I want to say it was like six months ago or a year ago or something like that. Somebody propagated this very same news story, but it was a hoax. What they said was that Paul Walker had died in a car crash and um, his remains were so badly burned up that it was difficult to get an ID, but it was probably Paul Walker, right? Eerily, just it, it, it was spooky how much how similar this was to what actually happened. Mm -hmm. Now, when the news broke, there was a whole lot of back and forth about it because people thought or wondered that this was basically just a repeat of what had happened uh, before. This is basically the old hoax rearing its its ugly head. When just in getting fact, a second round through the internet. Yeah. And that, by the way, wouldn't be the first time something like that has happened. Hoaxes mm -hmm. get recycled all the time. And they're kind of like urban legends that way that sometimes they kind of thrive on the adaptability. Yeah. But there was a point there, and I want to say it lasted for about an hour or two on Facebook when no one knew what the fuck was going on. And so I would open up Paul Walker's Wikipedia page, and whenever someone passes away, what you know, instead of saying so-and-so is a famous you know, singer or actor or whatever else, it'll start using – it'll use the past tense. It'll say was, the singer, actor, guitarist, whatever. And his his Wikipedia page, by the minute, it was going back and forth between the two because no one knew what the fuck was going on. All anyone knew was that the was, was that there were stories that were coming out that, well, we think Paul Walker died or we don't know what's going on. There was some sort of a car crash, and you know it would be you know it, it's it, it would be nice to think that you know people have the collective bullshit filter of mankind's consciousness has gone to such a level that you can't pull stuff like that off anymore people so i saw easy. it happen just the other night <laughs> so it's so easy yeah. well and you know and and while i was doing a little research for this episode and did a little um i was doing a little bit tonight um there was during that whole thing that somebody posted pictures of him like in a hospital bed with like a tube up his nose but kind of smiling and it's like you know there's reports that he's dead and that he was burned to a crisp but that's kind of funny because here he is alive and intact in his hospital bed don't believe what you hear on the internet which they were you know is a bold-faced lie and the truth at the same time it's a little <laughs> Kirk computer killer but um yeah, so, so they did a sort of reverse thing where they were actually hoaxing that he was still alive, too, which, that's really ghoulish, you know, because that would be really horrible if the family saw it and was like, oh my god, oh good, this was only another hoax, and then it turned out that he was really dead or something, that's, but yeah, that's I mean, yeah. It, but it, it happens every day on, on the internet, you know. I mean, recently they just had the big viral thing with the waitress who got the letter on her her credit card. You know, she said, here's a what they wrote on the credit card, and it was something about her being a lesbian, and they didn't support her lifestyle, so they weren't going to tip her. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And then the people who were in there actually saw that and then said, well, actually, here's our credit card report where we did tip her, and here's our copy of the... The, with the tip on it and it turned out it was a, a complete hoax for attention and it turned out that this girl is always you know sort of a sounds like she's a habitual liar yeah so yeah. every day there's a news story 
Well, right, but sometimes it's not even a story. Like sometimes, um, and don't tell me you haven't seen these on Facebook, right? Again, I don't want to. I don't want to be partisan about this, except to say that both sides, and that's as mm -hmm. specific as I want to get. Both sides of the argument have these little cutesy internet memes where mm -hmm. they have these sort of gotcha facts that, if you yeah. actually compare them, in, in some cases, in, in the best of cases, the most you can say is that there's a germ of truth to it. Right. But at the same time, there are some nuances to it. There are some complications. They're not really giving you the full story. Yeah. And those are the those are the, like the really good ones, the best ones. The ones that are just horrible are the ones that are they just completely fucking make a make the whole thing up. You know, like um, Bill Clinton rapes babies. Now I'm not saying he does, and I'm not saying that that meme is out there, but I'm saying something that fucking stupid. Bill Clinton, one of the most famous people in the entire world. You mean to tell me he that he goes around? No, come on, people, you know? But you see stupid shit like that on the internet, and I shudder to think, I mean, if this book were to come out today, there are not enough pages for it. There is not enough pages to, to print all of the bullshit that, that has um, all these hoaxes and stuff that have gone on just in the last five years. You cannot oh, make yeah. a, a book big enough. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. I mean, this, this, this book is so out of date, they missed the bubble boy. Or not Bubble Boy, Balloon Boy. Come on, that was one of the great ones recently. Mm -hmm. um, Grunge Speak was another great one. Do you remember that? Yes, or... I remember. But yeah, you need to define it. But yeah, I know exactly what that is. People just made a bunch of shit up. Yeah, they just inter they interviewed somebody, you know, and they found some, you know, musician in a grunge band. And they asked them, you know, oh, and they said, oh, yeah, we have our own language and just started making shit up, which, you know, gets published in the paper as here's grunge speak. I'm sure there were a million things like that during the hippie days, too. Here's how the hippies talk, you know, or here's some crazy things the hippies do. And it basically was some guy on acid just going, oh, yeah, we do this and this and then we do this and this. Um, oh, just the alien autopsy. Oh, yeah. Do you remember manbeef.com? Man beef? Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm, I guess I'm blanking on that one. That was about, I think it was like 2001, right around there. It was I was working in a, a restaurant at the time, and one of the other cooks had found it on the Internet. Now, don't ask me why he was somehow found manbeef.com. Probably somebody told him about it, but it was... It was a. It was not a gay porn site like you would think. It was a website that would basically presented itself as, if you wanted some human flesh to eat, there they were located in another country, and they had, quote unquote, harvested people who had, you know, signed signed over their bodies when they died, and that you could make arrangements to buy very expensive cuts of meat from of human flesh oh my gosh and he came in and he was just like listen we gotta pool our paychecks and what? get us something and so there was an argument i was arguing that we should get a nice you know like leg thigh and he was he wanted to just get fingers and and batter them like chicken fingers and of course the whole time it was it was you know a, a practical joke but and, and you know you couldn't it didn't have prices on it it was like we can't really discuss prices on the website but here's an address you can you know and, and once we talk to you and find out that you're 
serious and have the money to do this, then we'll talk turkey or, you know, man beef, actually. Right. And all that. And that got taken down by somebody, by either their, you know, whoever was hosting it or whatever. But they ended up getting taken down and it, it got exposed as being, you know, just a performance artist sort of thing. But, um,. Yeah, I, I, I was going along with it because I knew even if it was real, there's no way we were going to afford it, but I don't know. <laughs> if those were the circumstances, you know, if it was a legitimately harvested body, maybe I might have a couple fingers, you know? I honestly cannot relate to that, but I'll, 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 <laughs> I'll simply smile and say, just... Okay. <laughs> Great I'm just really happy we're not in the same room right now. So, yeah, there was a time that I took the dump, and then there's a time that I admit that I would try cannibalism if it was. <laughs> <laughs> wow! So we are breaking new ground here. All right. Well, um, in general, what I can say, and God, we almost 20 Sorry. minutes into this thing, and we still haven't even gotten into the. But one of the things that, as I was reading this book, that kind of hit me was, you you made a, a remark in um, the. Uh, big book of urban legends uh show that we did okay you basically uh you 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 and a friend of yours i think it was i think his name is uh vargas you said that yes um you the two of you basically developed this uh this principle when it came specifically to urban legends but i think it uh, it kind of has broader application than that the, the untrue but believable right and principle. some of these i I, I want to be careful how I say it because I don't want to make it sound like these things had credibility to me even as I read them some of them some of them didn't but other ones um, the uh, the first story this was about Fritz Kreisler the one who basically falsified a bunch of classical music pieces mm -hmm. um, I love that yeah that was a good story the other one though that really seemed to me not believable in the sense that that I was buying into it as I read it, but more from the angle that I could see how people bought it, was the one right after that, Billy Tipton. Billy Tipton's Secret. Mm -hmm. And this is on page number nine, where basically there's this big famous jazz musician, Aunt Billy Tipton. Uh, he goes out, get, you know, he makes his name, you know, big in the uh, big band scene, gets married, they adopt some kids and stuff, and then when Billy Tipton dies, comes out that, that he is not a he, he is in fact a she. And when you you just read the story and you're looking at this, it's kind of easy to see how you could cover something like that up if you were careful. If you were careful enough, I can kind of... So I don't mean like, uh, you know, believable from the, from the angle that... <clears throat> I would have bought into this myself, or rather, I was well, buying into this. Let's, let's mention that Billy Tipton got married and had and adopted kids, right? And like, lived a full life, basically, sort of. Right. Died early, but. And yeah, and so it's just it's one of those things that, on the one hand, I can see how stuff like that might. Yeah, I mean, I can totally buy. I can buy that you know people would would believe things like that. And, you know, things like um, art scams, and there's plenty of those, mm -hmm. believe me. Um, well, that's that, there was this guy, I think he called it Dissim... His, his wife was a painter, uh, dis, Disambitionist Art, 
by this guy Paul Jordan. <laughs> and his wife basically was an artist. Mm-hmm. And she kept getting panned because she wasn't modern enough. And this was in the early 1900s. And he decided, I'm just going to fake some paintings, give myself a fake name, and just make these paintings and see what anybody says. And he left them around his house, and a picture of one of them got to a famous French art critic. And, you know, they were like, we want more of this guy's paintings. And he started becoming celebrated for these really crude, you know, he was he was purposely being crude and just like, I know he knew nothing, using the worst, oldest paints and became quite famous before he finally, you know, said, look, (laughs) I just did this to show that, like, people may not be looking for talent. They just, you know, the critics might be talking out their asses. I love stuff like that. I love the guy who's like, they were panning his music. He's like, all right, I'll just tell them it's the, the classics and see how stupid they, and they, and they ate it all. Now, he was probably good enough to where he could pass it off as, as the classics. And, and I'm always of the opinion that, you know, when you see artists that you're like, Oh my God, these artists are on this pedestal. They were people just like you. So if they came up with stuff like that, this guy could come up with, but I love that, you know, even a lot of times when these scams get exposed, the critics and stuff are, are hesitant to admit that it was a scam because they don't want to be outed as as not knowing what they were talking about, you know? Right, yeah, it's their credibility Love on it. the line, too. Mm-hmm. Well, um, what, uh, what Chris and I agreed to was that we were going to talk about two or three stories apiece. I mean, you have to understand, there, this thing is, this comic is uh, something like 200 some pages long or something like that. Yeah. So, as with everything else with these big books, there's really no way to cover everything all in one go. There's but, close to 100 stories in it, you know, individual right. stories. They're all usually about two pages long. Right. And as with, you know, the other ones, <clears throat> or rather unlike the other ones, um, Urban Legends kind of dealt with ideas. And the big book of conspiracies, that was there were there were plenty of stories in there and so again you're you're faced with a situation where you you can't really tackle everything this is actually ideas and stories it's I've, you're you're it's basically setting up characters real people but characters and it, it has to tell you who they are what they did and then what ended up happening to them and it's it's just it's really too much to to go into all of it but what Arthur and I, uh, Arthur, what Chris and I agreed to, was that uh, we we're going to talk about two or three of these, and then just try to lightning round through all the rest of them as best we could. And so, uh, would you like to go first, or do you want me to go first? Oh, you go ahead. All right. Um, my first story is uh, the one that really stood out to me is the autobiography of Howard Hughes from page eighteen. First off, Howard Hughes is just an interesting guy from beginning to end. If you've seen The Aviator, I think you've probably got a pretty decent idea about that. But I think what he's probably going to be most remembered for is not just being a really smart and rich guy. He's going to be remembered for being a really smart, rich, and paranoid fucking batshit crazy guy. Yep, hermit. And so... Fingernails and Santa Claus hair. Right, and then, you know jars of his of his own piss in his hotel rooms and all that stuff uh, you know this i don't even know how true some of that stuff is but yeah it's probably pretty true 
Um, or here's another one. Like towards the end, like they say that after he died, he had so many broken off syringes in his arms and shoulders and stuff that doctors honestly did not know how he how he could have been able to function just because of the pain he must have been in. He had right. just like dozens or hundreds uh, of just broken off syringes and stuff in his arms, and it's just a very fucked up individual. But anyway, um. Obviously, there came a point in his career where he just sort of – he sort of went to ground. And I could see how this guy's phony baloney autobiography was – how that could have been handled and how people might have, at least at first, found it convincing just because he was sourcing some of the things that he was talking about so that you would kind of have a, this mosaic of people – who who knew Howard Hughes? Who said, "Oh, I remember this story." Yeah, so I guess mm-hmm. this uh, this autobi this autobiography. He found just enough people to back it up, or to to go like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, this this looks real." To and that just start, started like a snowball effect of of people vouching its reality. Same as the art forgers, you know what. Once one guy that somebody respects is like, oh yeah, this is real. You, you, other if other people know that, they're more likely to go like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah I, I say what he says, and that's this guy totally, you know, did that. And and with a lot of these stories, you just work your way up, you know, until you get a book publisher that's willing to stand behind it, and then it sort of becomes a book publisher's thing. <laughs> right. Well, and my favorite part, though, it's actually on page 20, the very last panel. There was a handwriting expert who was shown something that's just a complete, absolute fucking fake handwriting sample that purports to be from uh, Howard Hughes' own hand, but obviously we know isn't. He nevertheless cleared it, and it kind of makes you think, you know, people want to want to ascribe so much authority to to really technical I don't know if it's a science exactly but really technical forms like handwriting analysis and whatnot if you can they're kind of pseudosciences really right and you know it it's just it's amazing that if you just try hard enough if if you have the right methods and you approach the right people give them the right amount of bullshit you can mm-hmm. sell anything mhm anything and mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's kind of the. Um, the hey, I've whole... convinced people that I was a CIA agent without ever saying a, a word. <laughs> Myself and Vargas Pike and another guy went to a, a protest where these people were protesting the CIA's involvement with uh, with a college, and it was outside a building that had CIA headquarters in it. Mm-hmm. And we just stood around in suits <laughs> with earpieces in <laughs> and, and sunglasses <laughs> and had people. And had and filmed and had people just go, you know, yelling at us and security coming out. The security from the building came out and was like asking us what we were doing. We're just observing. Who are you working for? We aren't working for anybody. We're just private citizens. Sure you are. <laughs> yeah, they sure you are. The where does that earpiece go? It doesn't go to anywhere. It just is a bare wire. It's just stuck in my ear. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's great. So we were actually trying to even we were actually working against that but still nobody we we were doing it as a pair we were wearing sneakers and stuff, you know. We were only so close. We were just trying to make a joking statement on paranoia and uh <laughs> at the same time 
the the people that we were trying to like yeah it just totally turned into everybody becoming paranoid just by the fact that there were guys in suits there and you could not convince them that you weren't up to something so people you know people want stories like this people want that stuff you know yeah they they desire it well and in the case of the Howard Hughes thing it's kind of it's kind of interesting that I guess number one that it took Howard Hughes himself to debunk it because I I mean my hat is off this guy chose the right person if you're going to if if you're going to attempt to write a, mm-hmm. a a complete bullshit autobiography about somebody Howard Howard Hughes is a pretty good choice I mean yeah the he, odds he, were pretty slim he was going to do anything about it or even find out about it right and even then you know if to dispute it at all well, anyway the other thing though and this I. You know, maybe I've just been living under a rock. Everybody knew this, and I didn't. Um, but what I did not know was that bas- was the Richard Nixon angle of all of this that ended up <laughs> indirectly, inadvertently, causing the, the, the break-in at the Watergate Hotel that ended up, as we all know, toppling Richard Nixon's presidency. Or, or at least the cover-up of the uh, robbery. And I did not know that that those two things were ever related. I'd, I'd known that someone, I didn't know the details until I read the story, but I knew that there was a point when someone tried to uh, falsify an autobiography for Howard Hughes. And obviously everybody knows about Watergate. That's just part of the lexicon now. Mm-hmm. Never knew those two things were linked. And I just thought it was, again, truth is stranger than any fiction. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, do you want to go next, or do you want me to just finish up my uh, my little uh, selection of uh, stories here? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's go f- through your through. I'm I'm waiting on the hand grenade. <laughs> oh, okay. I can't wait. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, the next one, and this isn't the hand grenade. Uh, War yeah. of the Worlds is page thirty-four, and again, this is a sort of obvious one that I think a lot of people uh, know about. But the reason I chose this was. Yeah, it's a straight-up classic, and it's arguably um, – if you view the performing arts as uh, – I'm trying to think of the best way to put it uh, – an opportunity to potentially troll your audience, this is one of the greats in all of history mm-hmm. where you basically turned an entire city upside down. The first – the first Blair Witch Project. Well, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, in that case, though, I mean, it wasn't really just one thing. That the, I mean, there was a there was an orchestrated campaign behind this. I mean, whereas with or, or behind Blair Witch, whereas with right. War of the Worlds, they that, had no idea that, that that it would go like it did. I don't think. Right, and that, but the, and, and then that kind of leads me leads into a. a I'm not trying to challenge it so much as I'm just really just trying to open up the uh, conversation and ask, is it really accurate to call that a hoax? I mean, Mm-mm. was that really what Orson Welles intended? I well, I, I remember as a kid, I'd heard about this so much and I was a big um, H.G. Wells fan. My parents bought me like a big collected book of H.G. Wells and I remember reading War of the Worlds and hearing about the radio show. And I remember finding in our school library, they had all these old radio shows, including War of the Worlds. So I was like, couldn't believe I was going to get to listen to it. And I was so disappointed 
because at the very beginning of it, you know, they, they come right out and say, this is a radio, you know, this is a fictional radio play simulation. This is not, you know, they, they put their, they put their disclaimers on it. And the version I heard was, you know, free of the real commercials that had the fake, you know, cuts to commercials and stuff. But I heard that also whenever they cut to a commercial break, that they would also say, you know, you're listening to a production of, you know, a theatrical production. And uh, it didn't matter. <laughs> I mean, at the same time, also, there's no... It, we, we live in the day where we have just... Uh, I guess it's not even uh, thought of as a luxury now, but to where if you, you're, you turn on... Even if you turn on your cable, if you have digital cable and you're like, what the hell's going on? You can back it up. You know, and and see what's going on. Back in these days, if you turned on the radio, you just sort of caught whatever was going, uh. and that was it. And so, I guess a lot of people could have come into it and missed those. But I also think it's one of those things where it might not have been as huge of a deal when it happened as in when it hit the press. Right, because it also made a great story in the press too. So I think the press has also blown it right up. You know, nobody actually killed themselves or stuff. You know, and the stories are like there's people ready to kill themselves, and all that may or may not be true. Either way, it's brilliant. If 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 it was just a marketing idea. By Orson Welles, it's just more proof of his being ahead of his time as far as speaking the language of the media. And, uh, you know, at this at, at this point, the emerging media, you know, he was on the cutting edge in radio. Yes, he was. Um, anyway, so that's really uh, the, the most I had to say about it. I just wanted to, you know, basically just put it out there that, you know, I'm not sure. Because to me, if you're going to propagate, to me, the word hoax... There's a difference between hoax and misunderstanding. That's why they're mm -hmm. spelled differently. And there's intent with a hoax. Exactly. Whereas something that just got misunderstood and I think really what this comes down to is interpretation. He basically wanted to do the story of War of the Worlds as a sort of news bulletin kind of thing. And, you know, again, hats off to him for originality, but like you said, it's it's one of those it was an idea that was so far ahead of its time like that if you were to do it, it, the most I can think of to relate it to in in our day um, would be those uh, little interstitials that were in um, Starship Troopers, mm -hmm. those little patriotic – or actually, you know what? Maybe a better thing would be those little bullshit news updates from um, the uh, first RoboCop movie. I don't know what it is about Paul Verhoeven, whatever. Anyway, but the first RoboCop movie where they're constantly doing those satirical commercials and those satirical – uh, news updates and everything. Mm -hmm. I don't think the subsequent movies really captured the same type of flavor of kind of irreverence that the first one did. And maybe it's just not the kind of thing that you can recapture, but that's kind of what it reminded me of, where you're kind of issuing social commentary in the form of these really s satirical commercials. And mm -hmm. that's kind of what, in a sense, I think uh, Orson Welles was doing here. He was telling the story and he was interpreting it as a news bulletin, and that was just the vehicle he used to do it. But you could get by with stuff like uh, like RoboCop in the 80s when people had a little bit more media savvy. Back when radio was brand new, bleeding-edge technology, people didn't 
necessarily understand the possibilities that it has for telling stories. And it, I don't know that this is the kind of – first off, I don't think it was intentional. But secondly, I don't think it's repeatable. I don't think you could do something like this again today with any kind of technology. And anyway. There's, there was a television show that, that I guess had a similar thing with a nu- that, with a nuclear war. It may have been a British broadcast that had a similar effect where people tuned in and thought that they were watching a real news broadcast. But at that point, you just called the TV station and it got figured out pretty quick. Oh, and you OK, so you're not talking about the uh, story that preceded this one, the BBC riot panic? No. OK. No, this was this one was like, you know, this one was a, a commentary on uh, nuclear war. It may have been, you know, I'm, I'm, we, I may have been talking about that with Michael Bailey. He may be a fan of that. It's on YouTube. Oh, okay. But it was in the format of, you know, you were watching a TV show and, and then the news cut in oh. and did a simulation of what would happen if, if nuclear war had started. All right. Uh, my third and final uh, selection was um, Hearst's hoaxes from page 60 this basically is a it's not a biographical sketch of william randolph hearst so much as it's kind of a summation of some of the bullshit that he got up to and um in his career mm-hmm. and it really does run the gamut of uh of a possibility um the things that are, the things that at least at one point were possible to do with uh with uh, a newspaper as a medium well, it's funny because we were just talking about um, about Wells, and I think Wells and Hearst, and and I mean in in Citizen Kane, it was Hearst that Wells was kind of, I don't know if he was saying lampooning, but he was definitely, you know, sort of patterning the storyline of that that on on Hearst, and I look at the two of them as sort of op- different sides of a coin in that time of you know, the emerging mass media and, uh, and the way this, this is the, the kernels of the, of the message become our media now. And, and Orson Welles knew the power of manipulating it and the fact that it's like, yeah, you could lie. (laughs) And really what were the consequences, you know? So and if you have a big enough publishing empire, who the fuck's going to stop you? And people trust you, so you can just say stuff and do stuff. And he got to a point where he was just like, I might as well say stuff and do stuff that, <laughs> that you know, furthers my interests. Well, and, and in this clay, uh, well, I don't think it's actually specifically mentioned in here, but uh, one of the things from was it the big book of conspiracy it was something it was one of these big books and now i'm blanking on which one it was but william randolph or yeah william randolph hearst basically um propped up his mistress's uh movie career uh, marion mm-hmm. davies right pretty yes. much uh propped up her career i mean this is by any standard she was kind of a box office poison no one cared about her her one claim to fame was her sugar daddy who owned all of these different newspapers and was single-handedly sustaining her career because no otherwise uh, her career would have come and gone and she wouldn't even yeah. have been a blip on the radar the only reason we remember her at all is because she was shagging William Randolph Hearst and he's what kept her in business but you kind of touched upon this a while ago and this is going to be the um 
grenade that I uh, talked about. To me, William Randolph Hearst, this isn't yellow journalism. This isn't journalism gone amok. To me, this is journalism. This is what journalism is. Now, with all of the uh, uh, MSNBCs of the world and the CNNs and the Fox News, you can kind of pick your poison as to what it is you want as far as slant is concerned. And they may not be as shameless about uh, completely contriving stories, although maybe they are, but maybe they're not. And But it just feels to me that this whole idea of journalistic objectivity or journalism as a, as a form of writing where it's just the facts, ma'am, it's not even an ideal. It's fiction. There's no such thing as journalism. And I don't believe that news media are any different today versus how they were back then. It's just the difference is people are a little bit more, slightly more savvy about Ooh. what? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll I was going to say they're just a little bit more climbing. aware of the, um, the bullshit that can go on, the tricks that can get pulled. And so it may not be possible these days for some kind of publishing titan to basically instigate a fucking war. All right. It may not be possible to do that anymore, but mm -hmm. I'm never going to be convinced that you can't single-handedly elect presidents or kick out incumbents or whatever you want to – whatever you're uh, – Or ruin somebody or – or yeah. Right. And, or or, or put the, actually they usually work the arc of where they bring them up and put them on a pedestal and then tear them down. That's usually how the media works. Yeah. But, and the I think that maybe the best example that I can think of, and I'm not going to take sides on this. I'm not going to say who's right and who's wrong, because honestly, I don't think we. This is one of those things I don't know that we'll ever know the complete truth about. But what I will say is this: there was some kind of an altercation involving Trayvon Martin and George Zimmerman. I wasn't there. I don't know what happened. So I'm not going to say that one side was in was in the right and the other one was clearly in the wrong. I wasn't there, and neither were you. But that guy's life has been completely ruined by, by news media airing what I think is very slanted coverage of, of facts that very honestly were at best still developing and at worst were just unknown. People were making all sorts of, uh, of prejudgment calls, basically poisoning any potential juror that might end up on, on the stand. And somehow, somehow, he ends up beating the charges. Now, again, I'm not going to say it was right. I'm not going to say it was wrong. I don't know. I wasn't part of that jury. All I'm going to say is that guy's life is completely fucking destroyed now. There's no job he's ever going to be able to get. There's no office he's ever going to be able to run for. In effect, the guy may as well be dead. Yeah. Right? Well, I don't think he was running for office before. Well, and he I could don't probably get a job, but it's going to be something sketchy, <laughs> you know? Right. And, you know, I mean, and on the one hand, you know, look, for all I know, he could be every bit the bastard that people wanted to make him out to be. Like I said, I'm not going to I'm not going to take sides on that, except there's to say no that, way to, there's no way for us to truly know. That's the that's what it all comes down to. Right. And to me, that's not journalistic malpractice. That's journalism. That's who these people are. That's what they do. And I don't care how conservative you think you are. I don't care how liberal you think you are or how moderate or whatever. I don't trust most news media. I mean, even the ones that... that well, uh, if it had been, if it'd been say, the opposite outcome and the whole thing was about Trayvon Martin had 
had ended up choke say choking the life out of George Zimmerman, we would have ended up with Trayvon Martin's life being ruined in the media. You know, it would they would it would have I mean they would have gone for the red meat. No matter who, <laughs> it doesn't matter who the meat is. Where you know they go where the meat goes. Well, right, and and the fact is that, and you and you hit upon it, you know. Although there was there was media attacking, you know, everybody got attacked in that. Everybody, the you know, the defense, the prosecution, you know, because there were two sides coming at it. So no matter what you were doing in that, you were under total scrutiny and you were under total attack all the time. And to some extent, that's kind of the definition of journalism is is. Not really opposition, but, you know, at least questioning of stuff. But that's not really what was happening. It was right. And, and, and again, in case it wasn't obvious, I just want to I just want to be clear that, you know, Chris and I were not saying that one side is right or one side is is wrong, that, you know, George Zimmerman is a murderer or for that matter, that Trayvon Martin, all that guy got what was coming to him. We're yeah. not saying either of those things. I'm just saying that. The entire thing was such a circus, and the only reason it happened, the only reason it happened, was because people want to sell newspapers, people want to sell mm -hmm. magazines, people want you to watch their news networks. That's the only reason that, uh, that, that Trayvon Martin and George Zimmerman's reputations were completely destroyed to the nation. I mean, neither— I, Whatever your point of view is, who's right or wrong with that, I'll always be of the opinion that that— and and most of these stories that people get worked into a froth about are local news stories. They never they they really don't belong outside of outside of that local area as far as interest goes. You know, as far as being of importance to the nation. And th I'm not saying that that wasn't an important case. I'm saying it, it wasn't something that you want to turn over into into a national case because that's what happens to stuff like it was um Terry Shivo is another example of that but there's there's any number of horrible murders you know like the cannibal guy who ate half the guy's face off it just makes a lurid story that everybody is going to click on or want to watch or something so it becomes a national news story but in fact in the world of you know, international politics or something that might actually affect our lives. There's something going on that could be reported on. Meanwhile, they're talking about, you know, the, the guy who took what, what are they bath salts and, and ate a homeless guy's face. Jesus. You know? Yeah. And that's a, a national news story. It really, it's, it's really more something for the six o'clock local news to go, oh, God, that's horrible and stuff. And it actually means something because it's in your town. But that's not – it's the difference between Hearst's day – well, Hearst was in the – I mean, there's never – anybody talks about any kind of golden age of journalism in America where those ideals that you were talking about of just the facts is just they're, – they're, they're fooling themselves. It was just before Hearst, it was just a series of little tiny newspapers. They were all skewed in all different directions from all different points of view. But it wasn't until Hearst that you started getting a mass media where it would start going not just in the local town, but all over the place, you know? Right. And that's 
you know, so this is a kernel of that. So the the difference now is we just have a much bigger structure, but they're still going to go for the stories that people, you know, want, and the and those are the and those are the ones that on the surface have the most blood and guts and things to argue about the things that are going to give you that little emotional crack hit you know right and you know i I, in some ways i can kind of understand like i don't want to dig up ancient history and again i'm not taking sides on this one either other than to say that i can understand why it is exactly that uh, oj simpson's murder trial is very likely international news, but for sure it's national news. I can totally, I mean, because he, he was a, he, he, he was, was a, a movie star, a sports star, right? And you know, or even Terry Schiavo. There's still, uh, the Bush administration had some sort of, uh, I think, I think President Bush. He he said something. I, I forget the details. Here I am. They sort of got themselves involved in it, and that sort of brought it up. But it, and then they tried to disin tangle themselves from it you know right and you know and and look whatever you know that even that i can kind of half-ass see i mean you know even if it's just a passing mention um on yeah on a you know some somebody some jack offs uh news news update oh by the right, way and right. oddly enough today uh, president bush you know even if that was all that had gotten even that i can kind of see but the trayvon martin thing always kind of stood out to me because we didn't hear about that the moment that it happened, or even a week later. It was something like two or three months afterward. That's when it hit the news. And, it, and what that told me was it wasn't about necessarily, you know, what may have, what, what might have been done wrong in that case, or for that matter, what may have been done right, or the, the whys and wherefores of it, the rights and wrongs. All of that stuff <clears throat> is completely beside the point. The fact is, it was an otherwise slow news day. And they needed uh, they needed something that's going to occupy time on their news programs. They needed they had pages they needed to fill in their newspapers. That's literally all that this 14 or 15 year old kid's life was worth to them. You know. Well, yeah. Well, that's the thing. And then there's hand wringing about his life, but at the same time they're totally exploiting it, which is classic media. But I I'm I'm even a little more cynical about it. I think it ended up on the national news so much later because it was making the rounds of the internet and it was becoming a Facebook meme thing. And all of a sudden probably it ended up on the national news because somebody noticed it was trending in some sort of search they did, you know, in Google or something. And we're like, Oh look, there's been, you know, 10,000 memes, you know, 5,000 from this point of view and 5,000 from this point of view. Maybe we should pick up on this because, you know, and, and then people go, oh, yeah, I saw that picture on Facebook and and then and, and and off you go. And it's the perfect it's a perfect topic to divide people. And so and that is it uh, that uh, it always leads me back to it's it's funny because I find the book and the movie to be very profound in a real trashy way. But Private Parts by Howard Stern in the book, in the movie, there's a part, you know, where they're like, you know, half the people that listen to your show love it, and the other half hate your guts, but they still listen anyway because they want to hear what you're going to say. The average radio listener listens for 18 minutes. Mm-hmm. 
the average Howard Stern fan listens for, are you ready for this? An hour and 20 minutes. How can that be? Answer most commonly given. I want to see what he'll say next. All right, okay, fine. But what about the people who hate Stern? Good point. The average Stern hater listens for two and a half hours a day. Look, but if they hate him, why do they listen? Most common answer. I want to see what he'll say next. Kenny? Fucking twisted. What? You better listen to this. And that's a great operating principle for mass success, you know, because you can be all positive on one thing, but you're only going to pick up the people who are into that. Whereas if you pick something up that people can fight over, that gets like 90% of the audience involved in it because even, you know, that's why shows. Uh, I, do you remember like Morton Downey Jr.? Any any actual you know TV show host that's basically a um, you know a, a a dramatic partisan you know who gets on and and showboats. Right. It's just it's it's a perfect format because the people who totally disagree with you are still gonna watch you because there's I think there's an enjoyment to getting all riled up or to getting emotionally involved in something. I think the internet and Facebook have distilled it down literally to crack. Whereas when (laughs) it used to be cocaine and now it's like, and that's what those memes are. They're like the distilled version of them. And And some of them are political. Some of them are just simply they do, um, they push your your happy buttons or your your emotion. There's a lot of like this dog was rescued. Here's a picture of what it looked like when it was all beat up and and you're gonna cry when you hit the link and see what they did when they cleaned this Jeez, dog I, up. And I hate that shit. It, and they play the they play the Sarah McLaughlin song over it every time. Or, or you know or some similar. You know, there's there's three or four. If you get the conspiracy theories, you get the la 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 apocalyptic music, and you know, in the dog and cat videos, you get the sad, pathetic music played over. You know, their rescue and and when you look at something like that, it's hard to go like, oh, I hate this, but I do hate it. <laughs> but it, you feel I I part of me feels bad for hating it, but it's what I hate is the well, there's a manipulative aspect. Manipulation of it, yeah, where it's just like, here, because it does, it, it, it'll hit your, it, and and it's just, a, it's not there to make people want to be nicer to animals or anything. It's just there for people to watch it and go, <gasps> and then move on to the next thing and go, I hate that guy, and then go on to that and go, oh, that's nice, they got married, you know, and, and that's it, just little little emotional bursts to make you feel good right yeah feel it, it, something yeah and it's just like this single serve pathos like okay like here's a mm-hmm. um, one of the things I, I god i don't have the I, I closed out firefox i don't want to open it up and lag skype but basically i uh, heard about I, I hesitate to call it identity theft because people throw that fucking word around, and I'm sorry, it's got a very specific meaning. There are certain things that happen when your identity gets stolen, and that's not what happened here. But basically, this little girl was born with a Down syndrome, right? And uh, somebody in Florida, you know, that was their kid. Uh, they just 
put it up on uh, Instagram or one of those things, right? Like, it's, I think I'm familiar. I think I know the story. Yeah. Yeah, and so basically, you know, it's so and so's birthday, like little Kate. It's uh, little Kate's birthday, and she's just having a great old time. And this Down syndrome girl, she just looks, you know, cute as buttons, and her little birthday hat and everything. And then somebody basically came along and said, you know what? There's an exploitative potential here. They uh, took the picture, and then they just fabricated some bullshit story about how uh, little Janine uh, has a bad heart. She was born with Down syndrome, and now she's got a bad heart. She needs a um, – she basically just needs a, a transplant. Uh, share this with fucking everybody that's on your Facebook, and you know maybe we can make something happen here. And basically what it is, it's you know, – there is such a thing as a clickbait website – this oh, is yeah. A, this is a I'm like. Glad you're, I'm glad you're heading there because that's where I was heading right after that. Right. Well, this is a like bait, a, a like bait Facebook group, right? Where basically yes. someone comes along and then they, they pull you in with something that's all emotional over the top like that. And or, then once. Or it's like, I'll bet you can't <clears throat> think of a month that doesn't have the letter E in it. Yeah, like March. Yeah. And. Um, once they have a certain number of of likes or members or whatever, it basically the Facebook group will get bought up by somebody mm -hmm. and then changed over to something else, and they have instantly built in three thousand or however many members that the original reason they liked that page was because they wanted little Janine to get her heart transplant, and then somebody knowing how easy it is to play on other people's emotions in this way. Um, they basically made an offer. Look, I've got a Facebook group. I can sell you. If you give me a hundred yep. bucks, I'll give you three thousand likes without question. You, they're they're built in. All you got to do is just change the name. Instantly, your little product or your little service or whatever you've got going on has this built-in fucking audience of people that never wanted anything to do with you, you or your bullshit in the first place. Well, it doesn't even matter if they're your audience. It gives you a little legitimacy when you say, "Look, hey, hey, we're doing this, and we got our Facebook page. We already got, you know." Three or five thousand, but it's usually more like eighteen thousand, twenty thousand, and most people don't know how Facebook works. So once you get that page with all those people, you can start putting up spam messages. They right, don't that, even the know how. Do they don't even. They from? just think it's an ad from Facebook. They don't know what it is. They don't know that they can block it. They don't know it used to be, poor little Jenny, and now it's you know keep your erection forever, and. And so then you win and you, you are actually putting ads on those people's – and if they're dumb enough to get in there anyway, they might even buy your erection cream. You never know. Yeah. Well, and I, here's the thing. At the very least, they're not going to I'm gonna glad you brought that up because that's – I mean I see that happening every day. I see people that I know that are very intelligent putting stuff like that up because they think they're doing something good or just like – they're thinking, ah, why not, you know? If it if it could help somebody with Down syndrome who needs an operation, why not just push a button? You know, well the why not is because somebody's making a lot of money off it, and you know it could also turn into other kinds of trouble too. Well, and you know what? For the for the moment, everything. Okay, number one, everything that you just said is absolutely true, absolutely true. But for the moment, number two, let's just take all that shit off the table. Okay. Are you really that easily manipulated? Is that all it takes to get a rise answer. out of you? Yes. And Short you know, yes. <laughs> do you do you really think that by uh, clicking on share or clicking like 
or something like that, that you're somehow going to go on some kind of bullshit moralistic crusade that's going to save the world? Motherfucker, I got some news for you. You're not. It's not going to happen. You know, but I mean, it's it's this it, it, God, I hate my fucking generation, but it's just this this. Any generation that got a hold of the internet would be doing the same thing. People, people have been, people have been shystering each other since we could, you know, get within five feet of each other. And you know it's, what? Oddly enough, that I'm okay with. But this whole idea of, you know, this um, I'll sit in my office and lead a revolution bullshit, my little home office, and and you know I'm gonna I'm gonna save the world, dude. You want to go out there and save the world? Look, dude, be my guest. All right, but you're not going to do it. Get to work, yeah. You know, you're not going to do it sitting in, in your air-conditioned house in front of your computer typing up little fucking I poems. cannot tell you how many times I've been on various – and I – and believe me, I go to, I go to groups of all politicals. I'm, I'm – the, the, uh, when the Occupy movement happened, I remember for a brief second I thought, this is a good idea, and I realized – what the Occupy movement needs to do is appeal to everybody. It needs to not be a partisan or represent the left or represent this. It's got to do this. So I started like joining groups from all different directions just to see what people were talking about. And then I ended up befriending a lot of the people on it. And I can't remember now <laughs> where I was going with this. I'm talking myself into a corner. Well, what, I think what I said was that, you know, look, if you want to save the world, you need to go out there and actually do yeah. it. But, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. So I would end up on all these Facebook pages with people, you know, vehemently, you know, are, and, and I understand arguing and sharpening your teeth of your argument against the opposite side and stuff like this. But then they would start arguing about, you know, the dynamics of their group and and doing this and that. And I'm like, no, no, this is, you know, you guys are in a place right here on Facebook where you can just talk shit. It has nothing to do with the reality of what you're doing. You know, they're like, this person's coming onto the Facebook page and he's subverting the movement. It's like, no, he's not. He's just talking shit on Facebook. If you subvert, you know, you're subverting the movement by sitting in your house <laughs> on Facebook all day instead of out doing, you know, working with the homeless or something, you know, right. go, go do something, you know, and, and yeah, there's, there's this illusion and I, and I'm hoping all this is growing pains of the internet, you know, where people will finally realize that, you know, in in some ways, the internet will only get you so far. It's a communication tool, rather than the all answer. Where it's like, if you manifest things on the internet, <laughs> they'll they'll come true in reality. <laughs> well, this ain't gonna happen. <laughs> well, more and more, I'm starting to think of the internet as a medium. More and and I, I guess what I mean that it, from the from the right same now, angle, it's the ultimate medium. It is until they put it in our brain. It's pretty much, yeah. The, it's it it covers everything. You know, it has all the senses except smell. Well, wait a while, but taste. Yeah, and and that won't be long. But the same type of mentality that um, that William Randolph Hearst used in in his newspapers, where he's basically from the comfort of his office. And you know what? Talk whatever shit about the guy you wanted. He at least re achieved results. So I, can, I guess I can at least respect him on that ground. 
But, you know, instead what we have now are a bunch of little Hearst wannabes that, you know, are posting on their little fucking blogs. And, and, I, and it's oddly enough, I'm saying this on my corner of the internet, my podcast, that, well, fuck it. You know, it's supposed to be about comics. I'm not out to change the world. But it, it's basically, you know, every, I mean, you know, there's not a single one of these um, little armchair internet warriors that wouldn't bash the shit out of William Randolph Hearst if they were given the chance Effectively, though, doing the same thing that he—they're doing the exact same thing exactly. to a less successful degree, I might add. To an incredibly less successful degree. And <laughs> you know, I'm like, I, I'm having a hard time seeing where they're somehow so fucking superior. You know, and no, that's why I never get worked <laughs> up by what somebody says on the internet because 90% of the time, anybody who says something, even if it's the most, you know, offensive to my sensibilities or beliefs, I just realize. All this person is doing is talking on the internet. They have no power to actually affect what they're talking about. So <laughs> why am I getting worked up about it? It's like, okay, dude, you you believe that? That's that's fine, you know. Now if it's somebody who can like, you know, put me in jail or stuff, that's when I start getting argumentative about it or something, you know, but for the most part, yeah, most people yeah, and these armchair warriors and, you know, for the for the most part, really, who's reading them? You know, 10, 10, 15 people who agree mostly, but who agree with them? Who are yeah, who are like from their same news group? You know, so and yeah, you, and the we've other thing ended is, up with a lot of echo chambers, right? Well, and like the other thing is, you know, look, I don't want to make it sound like I don't believe in in a in a free speech because I do. I mean, look, the things that I that I write on my Facebook, look, I've been outright fucking berated for some of it, and um. You know, I the way I look at it, my Facebook is it's, it's basically a place for me to to just say what I feel like saying, all right. And there are times when it's the complete truth. Uh, well, Chris, you've seen some of the stuff I've, I I post. What do you think the ratio is of stuff that's actually true versus is uh, complete bullshit? You know. Well, you know, I'm but, not going to go as far to say that like any of it is trolling <laughs> in any way, but it's. You, you, you'll be contentious about uh, about stuff and you'll and hey the, the, the thing about it is if you you could present an opinion and you often present opinions that I totally don't agree with but whatever that's your that's your opinion and you state it and and if you're I think what the the, the it, when people get all uppity about it it's because of the, the the tone of it, which is I'm right, you're wrong, I'm smart, you're dumb, which I kind of but, agree with, but yeah, right, right, but and, and, and I mean you're not you're not making any bones about it, you're not being you're not being it's it's not like a a subtle condescension or something, it's more like pro wrestling, you, you, you know, and taken in in the spirit of fun, <laughs> which if you're on something like Facebook, why are you on there if you're not on there to enjoy yourself or to get some enjoyment out of it? That leads to, to uh, a, a jumping point of where it's like, all right, I, I can get in an argument about this. I don't I can not take myself too seriously. I don't have to take him too seriously. And it gives you you're, you're, you're inviting people who don't agree with you to come in with the same attitude and duke it out with you. 
but that involves someone who's who's in the <laughs> of of a like mind. You know, I I. I I could do that. You know, it's almost like Andy Kaufman in a way where it's like, all right, if we're, you know, we're going to, we'll blow up, blow up your personality and, and come out swinging, you know, it's, it's like stunt debate. Right. And some, and if you take it seriously, you're going to get horribly offended and be like, you know, uh, you know, especially if you don't agree with somebody and they say, well, you know, I'm I'm smarter than you, and it's like no, you're not. You're dumber than me, and when and so, you just, I, people just need. Well, is there to is there just a reluctance things. to to just like not take yourself so damn seriously? I mean, well, does everything have to be an argument with with some people? I don't understand. Sometimes okay. yes, yeah, some some people enjoy it. Um, on the uh, on the other hand, it's also a a function of you know, Facebook and the internet in general and being to where it's a written medium for, you know, in, in this case where, you know, it's posts in text, it's hard for, it's hard for people to pick up the tone. So they'll project tone onto it. So, you know, a lot of times something that, you know, you could hear, you know, I've posted stuff and I hear them in my head in sort of a cheesy newscaster voice or, you know, something or I put them up as what I think is obviously not to be taken seriously. And, you know, I find out that people take it dead seriously. And that's because I also and I know you're a fan of the English language mm-hmm. and I notice you don't really use emoticons. Which I don't use emoticons either, but they are really useful. I hate them, though. I hate them. That's why I, I hate them. But they're, God, I, if they're I, not useful sometimes. They, yeah. they drive me nuts. But, man, they keep a lot of people out of trouble because they're saying just kid. I hate it in normal conversation all my life. I hate when somebody is obviously joking around with you and, you know, is ripping on you a little bit, but then instantly follows it with just kidding, just kidding, in case you're feeling and. That always drives me nuts, but at the same time, it's probably a good idea doing that for the most part, you know. Right. Maybe not with me, because I get it, but at the same time, they're covering their ass. Right. And the emoticons are the same thing. I just refuse to do it. So, you know, you can come off as, you know, I know I have had conversations with people where they're just like, man, you're just being so condescending, and it's just like, really? I don't know. I thought I was trying to be, you know... <laughs> I thought we were having fun. <laughs> right. And and it's, you know, we're in we're in an explosive state of development as far as communication goes and the growing pains are pretty intense. Man. Yeah. Well, that was the grenade I had and I guess <laughs> I guess it really was a grenade. It kept us going for what's it been like 20, 30 minutes now. So that was a, yeah, that was a good little digression. Although it sort of fits into pretty much all the the stories we'll be going into here. Speaking of, um, you said that you had a few. You want to hit my three? Absolutely. Um, the first one I got is on page eighty, and that's the Cottingley Fairy Photos. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember the name of it. Uh, it. It was a movie in the last decade or so about this. I thought you meant the story. I was going to say, well, it's Cottingly Fairy Photos. Mm-hmm. No, there was a there was a movie made about this story, 
that ended really fancifully with the fairies actually flying into the house and being real. But uh, oh, yeah, geez. this is a this is a great story of you know, just basically two little girls goofing around with too much time on their hands, and once it got into the hands of uh, Arthur Conan Doyle. Who you know? People are like Arthur Conan Doyle. He writes. He writes Sherlock Holmes. He's not going to fall for it. Now, whether he they they say he was kind of a spiritualist. A lot of times, and this is my untrue but believable cynicalness coming in. You know, I think to myself, maybe Arthur Conan Doyle was just like, you know what? I want to make the world more interesting. <laughs> So I'm going to I'm going to be a proponent of these fairies uh, or or I'll just, you know, I'm not going to look into this too much because it's just too good of a story and these pictures are too neat. Because I have you ever seen the real picture, the real fairy pictures? Um no, I wanted to look at them before we even started recording, but just time got away from me. So, no, I never did see those. They're very obviously paper they're, they're not obviously as in where it looks like there's their paper pieces of paper in the picture, mm-hmm. but the de- depiction of the fairies are obviously pen and ink drawings. You know, they're not real people. They don't have shadows or anything like that. You know, right? So they're well, this... they're just very obvious these days. Well, and that's something that you know, I I wanted to bring up whenever you mentioned that um this was one of the uh, stories that you wanted to tackle this is one of those uh hoaxes that's very media dependent because Mm -hmm. i think it would be a lot more difficult to pull something like this off now because yeah we all have cameras and stuff on our smartphones and stuff but by the same token even the the we all have photoshop too (laughs) well right and i think people Look, even 10 years ago, you know, you could get by with a lot of Photoshop shenanigans. But these days, you know, the collective bullshit filter has just gone so high and that people have such – and not to mention the fact that the cameras that they – that most people use these days are of such high quality that it's a lot harder to pull something like this off. Whereas back whenever you had like these really horrible-looking grainy uh, film images that would that would come along and – they would come out of your camera and they just looked at like mm-hmm. absolute goat shit. You could, mm-hmm. you could kind of, you could make uh, something like you could falsify fairy pictures or, or, or for that matter, touch on stuff we've talked about in the past. You could, you could falsify UFO pictures and things like that. Especially if you really knew what you were doing. Yeah. And nowadays you have to line up pixels and stuff like that. If you're going to Photoshop it on a single, you know, and it's it's just it's a lot harder to get by with this right now. But one of the things though that like 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 I said that just kind of stood out to me about this was that they pretty much hit upon this hoax. And I kind of I, I almost want to put spirit photography in the same category, not to go too uh-huh. far off the subject, but I but you know what I've noticed is that a lot of spirit photography tends to be from about this vintage, and it's mm-hmm. a little bit easier to, to exploit to, a new technology right because it's so undeveloped the the quality of it isn't very high whereas people take it very people look at it as like this arcane science that nobody's gonna fake 
Hey, when they showed the first movie of a train coming towards the audience, people screamed and ducked, you know. <laughs> so it was it was a new dimension in in visual medium for them, and yeah, and it, it's it. I mean, when you look at those old medium pictures, they're just obviously someone's face off another picture, you know, off a cameo picture, basically. Right. And you know, sort of framed with a little airbrush smoke or something like that. Well, that was uh, the the main the main comment I, I had about this that you know you could get by with something like that back then. Today, it you know, I'm not saying that Photoshop scandals don't don't come up because they do. I remember there was one about... They do, but they get debunked pretty quickly if you want to ever, you know, if you ever look into them, you can usually find out if they're debunked very fast. Well, and in some cases, you don't even need to, to check around online. Any moron that has any kind of <laughs> familiarity with Photoshop and mm -hmm. Photoshop techniques or even just what nature looks like, you can look there's, at this and think, oh my... There's a few dead giveaways with Photoshop sometimes that you can catch... Yeah, um, like the but, one that kind of stands out in my mind. This actually got national attention. Was um, an Israeli uh, a fighter jet uh, dropping? Well, in the picture, what we're supposed to believe is that it's it's just launching all of these uh, rockets at presumably um, civilian targets, right? And that's that was supposed to be the scandal. Look, the the Israelis are are, are bombing uh, civ uh, civilians. You know, that's no bueno. Come to find out that, and just I mean, first off, just to look at this picture. Uh, no, I don't. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't buy it. You know, there's something about I don't know what was changed. I just but something know, was not right. Yeah, yeah, there were like three, I and I mean to the pixel identical pillars of smoke. Now, for there to even be one, instantly is you know that that's bullshit right there. You don't need to go beyond that. But the minute there are three, I mean, dude, come on. And then come to find out the original picture, what they're doing is they're dropping flares. And basically they're painting a civilian target saying, hands off, civilians are here, we need to bomb elsewhere. And and so it was. It, it's not just that it was... It was the opposite of what it actually was. Right. And, you know, now there may have been some sort of bias that's going on there or whatever. Again, I'm not going to touch on that because that's a little bit partisan. All I'm going to say is it's one of those things. And this was like... 2007 or something like it was, I mean, in, oh, the sure. grand, in the grand scheme of things, it was not that long ago. But, you know, anyone who looked at this should have been able to know, you know what? Uh, no, this there's some, something here was, was somehow altered. You don't need to be an expert in order to realize it. There's, um, there's just, it's just, it's obvious. The and, problem is there's no consequence for when you get caught. So, you know... Right. Well, you can you can run with it and not really have to. And if you get caught, yeah, you can do a retraction on the on a pay or you know say you're sorry the next day for five seconds on your newscast or whatever. And people forget about they 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 forget about the retraction. They'll always remember the story no matter what. You know. Right. Well, and that kind of ties back to the joke that is journalism. And you know, I mean, I'm sure that there are some people out there who who maybe think I'm crazy. I'm not. I'm right. So, um, anyway, so that's real anyway. journalism is is to is is 
you know, real, I, I think when you see quote unquote something close to real journalism, it usually manifests itself in the form of a big, honking, dense book. <laughs> Because right. it takes years of research. Real journalism takes just so much hard work and money and time and effort put into it to find out what the actual facts are that it's impractical for most news places to do it. That's why most news places are just sort of glorified editorial. It's, it's, it's easier to give your opinion on something. You know what? It is to I, I would dig never... out the truth. It's very expensive to dig out what's really going on. You know what? I would never have thought to put it in, the, in in those terms until you actually said it. But you know, there is no such thing as journalism. There is only documentaries. Hmm. That's... And 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 there's and 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 one thing I learned in film school that well I was taught in film school that's been bore out by watching documentaries is there's also no such thing as an unbiased documentary well right there's but what i'm saying is gonna... whenever you have basically the benefit of hindsight and people theoretically more willing to speak on the record i think a documentary i'm not saying they're perfect and again i'm not going to name names because that's maybe getting partisan but um i think you've got a a, a theoretically stronger yeah. chance of you have a better chance of really learning something about that topic. And a documentary will sit there and talk about the topic to you for an hour and a half, two hours. You know, there's there's documentaries like Shoah that was, what was it, eight hours long? You know, stuff like that. So, you know, and, 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 if, and for that hour and a half, two hours or whatever you watch, there's hundreds of hours, you know, poured into each minute that you're looking at in so far as research and raw footage and stuff. So you just have a much better chance when you're a new when you're a 24 hour news player, even if you're a daily down to the daily local news station, you have to put out something every day. You don't you can't afford to have reporters out getting the news story. You have to subscribe to like AP Newswire, you know, it has to be farmed out. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to produce enough. So, you know, naturally, there's just not going to be the, the quality. The quality is all going to be from whatever source you get. And that source has to pump it out every day, too. So, well, And, you know, the, this actually was a point that I meant to bring up a while ago, and it just kind of got away from me because the conversation went in other directions. But I was basically pissing all over um, a journalism as a form, and what I was gonna and, and what I'm what I'm saying is uh, the idea of mass news media, right? That's really what I what I was kind of calling out on the carpet. And I was actually even gonna bring up what I thought was the most scathing indictment of uh, commercial news media that I have ever seen in my life, and that is Oliver Stone's Natural Born Killers, where. <laughs> You know, I remember, and you know, it's only after one you of see, my favorite movies of all time. Well, yeah, and like the thing is, whenever I remember whenever whenever it uh, first came out, I don't think you know the 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 talking heads on news uh, programs. I don't think they had any illusions whose head was on the chopping block uh, when you know in that movie. And so, in order to deflect criticism, basically to change the subject, what they did was uh, basically come up with like this bullshit angle that. The movie pro, uh, promotes 
um, violence and murder. And if you see the movie, I, I don't think that's a reasonable interpretation of what went on. No, but if you talk I, about, uh, I totally agree. But if you talk about what the movie's really about, and look, I'm not the world's biggest Oliver Stone fan. I think I've made that clear in other things that I've said. But, you know, he did every... I mean, short of just putting the movie on pause cutting to Oliver Stone standing in front of a completely blank and white background and saying this movie is about the media uh-huh, you right. morons except for doing that he was about as heavy handed with his criticism as he could have possibly been oh, even the was, part hmm? everything was delivered with a sledgehammer with that movie repeatedly and you know at the whenever I was um, a kid I didn't I don't think I really appreciated it because I mean I thought the music was okay but you know I just didn't there was something about that movie that just made me fucking uncomfortable. Just gave me the willies. I couldn't put my finger on it then, and it's I think because you're a human being. <laughs> well, well, right, but I, but I can still, you know, uh, appreciate it now. And I think, the, not saying I, I've only seen it really like two or three times, so I can't say that I'm a huge fan. But what makes it watchable for me now, and what I think turned me off as a kid was, it's not even subtext. It's uh, like you said. I mean, it's just basically the Oliver Stone sledgehammer where he. Uh, where he just smashes the point home to you over and over again. The idea that we can't trust news media to tell us the truth about what's going on. Whenever, I mean, and this movie, ironically, kind of became the best, not only a, a, a sort of illustration of that, it became an example of that. Where mm-hmm. they were so fucking desperate to change the subject. They, the the... You know the movie critics, the uh, the uh, news. Basically, I guess you could say the news media complex. So fucking desperate to change the subject, not talk about the issue at hand, that they have to basically talk about all of these things that don't take place in the movie that it glorifies violence and all these other things. Inadvertently proving the fucking movie right. Exactly. Well, I I think uh, you see, as a piece of filmmaking, it's. I don't want to say it's disposable because I almost put it on a Stanley Kubrick level of raw or somewhere mixed with that. We were talking on Facebook about heart of heart of darkness apocalypse. Now sort of on that level of where he had a hot and heavy idea. He probably got a hold of that Quentin Tarantino script and Kubrick style was like, got his own idea that tangented off it. Cause Tarantino is very unhappy with, you know what that movie it was nothing like what he originally wrote oh yes he is <laughs> yeah so but as i would be too but in the in the meantime what you end up with is it's just like the shining with stephen king you end up with something completely different but it's its own thing and that was one of the first really successful and i mean they've been doing meta things in movies you know since like Really, Citizen 60s, Kane. yeah, Citizen Kane, even. But like in the 60s, there was a lot of meta stuff and a lot of turning and talking to the camera and stuff. But this did it in a different way. It was in this, it was, it was a incredibly deft, and and it's such a fine line with me because like what we were talking about earlier is I hate manipulation, but. There's there's different forms of there's manipulation of like you really think I'm stupid and then there's 
the manipulation that he was pulling in this where he was pulling manipulation on the people who were kind of dumb he was manipulating the way the media was going to react to it i mean watching that in a th- that movie in a theater and watching people reacting to the scene with rodney dangerfield was one of the peak Jeez, moments in, in movie viewing that i ever saw and it wasn't really it wasn't as much just the movie this wonderful movie i was watching it was the effect the movie was having on the audience which was making it laugh because they're like oh my god it's rodney dangerfield ha 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 and he's being this caricatured rodney dangerfield who gets progressively more horrifying in what he's saying but he's doing it in the hey hey sort of way so the laughter kept getting more and more uncomfortable till it got to till you know to where you realize okay oliver stone is trying to figure out the point of where people are going to stop laughing and be like what the hell is going on first off you don't tell me anything you ask my permission second you're not going out in that hula house dress you'll end up peddling your ass you stupid bitch and third you're not going out at all you didn't mow the yard that piece of shit lawnmower is fine are you talking in front of your mother you stupid bitch you watch your language or i'll kick the shit out of you like i do her so if your ass is in this house it's my ass so you move it upstairs and take a shower and you make sure it's a good shower because i'm coming up after to see how clean you are think you're a little hard on her ass. I'll show a little tenderness after I eat. When I get up there, she won't see my face for an hour. Darnley, I think you should speak nicely in front of Kevin. Don't think. You're a f***ing idiot. What am I, a bad guy? Did I ever ask you to f*** my friends? And don't tell me what to do. If it wasn't for me, you'd still be slinging hash in that shithouse and fucking your boss. Oh, that must be Donna. I'll tell her the bad news. Don't let your macaroni get cold, Ed. And then he would switch it into something else. And it was the most amazing manipulation of an audience from one extreme to the other throughout that whole movie. And at the same time, making you making you not really care for the characters because they're kind of horrifying, disgusting, shallow characters. But at the same time, they're the main characters of the movie. So you're sort of rooting for them in, in an anti-hero way. And at the same time, it's, it's tearing up the media and it's, it's quote unquote glorifying violence. At the same time, the violence is pretty, doesn't, doesn't leave you with an exhilarated feeling. Well, so right, and to I, me, it's the difference. Brilliant. Between, yeah, well, it's it's the difference between um, like it's the most visceral manipulation. Well, yeah, and like the most gritty and realistic uh, portrayals of violence. I guess if it, like if you want to think of it as as being sort of like a continuum. On one end of the scale, you've got basically the first what what is it like ten or fifteen minutes of Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. And then maybe on the other side, as far, as far as like a little bit more stylized, you have the chop socky kind of Kill Bill type of stuff where, yeah, people are losing arms, but somehow there's a there's just there's a style it's, to it that it's, it's an art. Yeah, it's like a ballet or something. Right, and 
you know, this was sort of this kind of over-the-top sort of parody stuff where... But what I kind of took away... And God, now we really are diverging shit. But um, this is going to be my last word on the subject, and I promise we're going to get back on topic. I promise. <laughs> um, but what I took away from it was that the skewering of the media isn't just in, just how the media is portrayed. It's how Mickey oh. and Mallory reacted to the media, how obsessed they were with it. When then people come here and they ask you who done this, you tell Mickey and Mallory Knox did it, all right? Say it. Mickey and Mallory Knox did it. Mickey and Mallory Knox. I love you, Mickey. Love you, Mallory. <laughs> tell them that Mickey and Mallory Knox did this. They wanted the notoriety that goes mm -hmm. along with it. They know what's on the other side of it. They'll, you know, you're going to get arrested. They're going to put you in the electric chair. They'll give you the hot shot or, or whatever, gas chamber, whatever it's going to be. That's the but, end of your story, dude. But at the end of it, that's, your story is way better than, <laughs> quote unquote, better. And your story will be keep going after you're dead there'll be books written about you there'll be people who worship you still after you die so it's that sort of like you know i mean they're the opposite end of say somebody who builds and you know a big company and then becomes a philanthropist or something you know and instead they're making that they're carving their mark in forever but they're doing it by being you know bloody mass murderers right and, and that's fine with them it's uh, you know human life means that little to them so long as there's some kind of fame and uh, attention out of it it's you know mm -hmm. some some sort of notoriety that by itself is all the skewering you know if, if, even if that had been as far as it went with beating up on news media about it the entertainment tonight aspect of it even if like if that had been where it ended i think that alone would have been enough but well, anyway, so. Well, the movie itself is sociopathic, <laughs> which is an amazing <laughs> no question movie. about you know, that. <laughs> you know, that's uh, that's that's quite a feat in itself, you know, to go see a movie and have it be enjoyable. I mean, I think they tried to do that with American Psycho, but at the same time, it, that was a very narrative-based and in a lot of. Not that this didn't have humor in it of, of sorts, but yeah, just on a visceral sense. Jeez, you know, I could do an entire episode about American Psycho. I mean, I, it, it feels somehow wrong to say that I love that movie, but at the same time, I, I do like it. Yeah, so. I have to see it again. I saw it once and I liked it, but I, I don't remember an awful lot about it, so I have to, I have to see it again. Hmm. It's worth seeing again. Um, it's definitely a, a, a see-it-twice kind of movie. Not because you find new stuff, but more that you can just enjoy the actors and their performances mm -hmm. and everything. So, Okay, wow. So we've talked about everything except your stories here. So um, you had another, a, a second one? I've got another story, yep. And this one this one's I picked out just because it takes place right down the street from me in Perry, New York, in a, in a little uh, lake. And it's the Silver Lake Serpent. And it's just an awesome, it's like mini Loch Ness in, in a way where there's, a, you know, a little lake and, you know, somebody decides to drum up some publicity by making a, basically a mechanical serpent. It, it, it was raised and lowered with bellows 
and they kept it up for a year. The only reason they got caught was some pesky kids. Well, no, actually, they got caught because, like, um, a building burned down where they were storing the monster. So when the firemen came in after putting out the fire, they found the remains of the, you know, the the monster thing. But so, but then it became just a part of local lore. And so now, now it's funny. It's that I never heard of this until I'd read the big book. <laughs> so it's local legend, but it's never reached really to Rochester. But now I want to take a day trip someday, you know, in the summer to Perry and see, they actually had built back in the old days, a watchtower for people to watch for the, the um the serpent next to the hotel so i'd love to see if that's still there i imagine it still is i imagine it's probably one of the main attractions of the town well and you know that it's kind of funny that you mentioned like the loch ness monster aspect um i thought of that but as far as i thought it would have a sort of uh, similar type of um notoriety to it or skepticism maybe as um the new jersey devil that thing that you know it seems that it's got its fair share of detractors but believe it or not it's actually got its fair share of similar to the chupacabra in the way there's a lot of people who are like no actually i've seen it but the jersey devil thing it, there really aren't that many stories of people actually seeing the Jer jersey devil if i can remember it's just like footprints isn't it like an impossible number of footprints that'll go like up the wood pile and then up over the roof of a house and just keep going for miles and miles. Well, and some supposedly eyewitness uh, accounts and stuff. I don't know if there are even blurry pictures, but what I what I mostly heard about were footprints and eyewitness testimony, but nothing in the way of hard evidence. Mm -hmm. So, well, whereas yeah. this, I mean, we know for a fact it was it was a scam to start with, and maybe that's maybe that's why it just didn't have the same legs to it i guess but it just i would have thought that you know even if it was just to say that oh wow you remember you remember when that time the hotel guy tried to scam the entire town and boy wasn't that fucked up and maybe even a few true believers who say no 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 what he did was he made a copy of the real season right. you know because you always have people like that out there that even when a scam maybe it's just pride i don't know but even when a scam is proven to be a scam you have those people out there who think well no, it's not really a scam. Look, what we found or here... Or they'll go to the point of where they're like, oh, of course, that's what they want you to think it's a scam. You know? Right. Or, yeah, they are. <laughs> Those two, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. No, this is a good little story, though. I, this um, this was actually on... Uh, this would have been... If there had been time for four, this would have been my number four. Oh. Yeah. Now, you see, the thing about Loch Ness is... Loch Ness will stay... I mean, they've... I mean, the surgeon photo from... Loch Ness has been, you know, subsequently pretty much, you know, proven as as being a fake and, and stuff like that. But it can survive through that because they could say, well, yeah, well, of course, there's people who try to do fakes. But that doesn't mean that, you know, some of it isn't real. You know, it attracts those people. Whereas this thing was on such a small scale that it's just like, oh, OK. <laughs> right. Although there's a there's the Lake Champlain monster. In, uh, which is in the other direction, further away. That's more like on the Vermont border. But um, I'm trying to think of the name of the 
of the Lake Champlain monster. Maybe it's is it Champ? That's no, that's from a different. But it, but is it in this book or it's not blanking in this book. on? Oh, well, that could be why. Okay. But it's it's also another large lake. I remember taking a ferry across it to Vermont once, and uh, there was once I remember seeing this, and I have never been able to find it on YouTube. Amazingly enough, but it was, and this was before the days where you could fake video as easily as you can now. But it was some people swimming in Lake Champlain, and something big just goes by them. You know, you see a giant shape under the water and this giant wake that it makes as it goes by them. It was incredibly, I remember seeing it on the news like two or three times as a kid and flipping out and then never hearing about it ever again and never being able to see that piece of video footage. And I'm, and you know, maybe it'll, it's in that part of my brain. Maybe I made it up or something, but pretty much most of the time I find out stuff that, I remember like that. I usually end up tracking it down sooner or later and finding out that, oh, yeah, you actually did see that. So I'm hoping someday to see that footage again. It was really dramatic. But um, who knows what it'll look like today, you know, at 45 years old as opposed to nine years old. So, yeah, well, my, anytime I find um, something that's just that fucked up on YouTube, I know it's not going to be there in six months. I always go to keep vid and uh, uh, make a copy of it just so I, it, it's preserved for posterity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. my third story mm-hmm. is really more of a it's the it's uh, Joey Skaggs. This one was a freaking masterpiece. This yeah. was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is this is what I really like about hoaxes. This is the kind of hoaxer I like. This is some, and and he's also in in my wheelhouse of the the style I like, where he was like, man, the media is gullible. You know, I'm going I'm going to use them. You know, they're they're lurid, but I'm gonna just experiment with the edges of gullibility and what they'll believe and what they'll pick up and make into a story and you know i mean people people use these methods now um peta peta uses his methods all the time stunts you know and and they've they've used them to make their their point or to get publicity whereas he was doing it just for the sheer hell of rubbing their noses into it he made a point but he didn't really have an agenda as much as it was just to see what people would would um fall for us and it and it, it it almost comes down to can you call up somebody at the news and tell them something and will they buy it and you know you'd say i i'm opening up a um you know a doggy prostitution ring or, you know, where I have doggy hookers where you can bring your dog over and stuff like that. And, and that, my favorite, that, that was my favorite panel in this whole story. There's some uh, uh, state attorney general, this real stuff suit looking guy saying, God damn it, there's got to be a law against that somewhere. <laughs> missing it. He's just missing it. I love it. Anyway, yeah, sorry, I, I cut you off. Sorry, go and, ahead. And, and he uses this sort of reverse approach where, 
you know, you could start up the doggy place and and wait for somebody to make an uproar about it. But what he would do is, you know, play some ads and then he would start the uproar. You know, he would <laughs> he would start calling up and go, I can't believe this. You know, there's uh, this dog, you know, and he would get his friends to call up and, you know, complain. And um, this story does it. This story. I mean, the more in depth he go than this guy, he had accomplices who would, you know, form committees against what he was doing, you know, to to help shore up the publicity because. And it's also the great thing with guys like this is each time you really have to step up your game because it's you doing it. So the the more astute reporters are going to sniff you out, but then you start playing the game of like, okay, they know it's me, but at the same time, that fills a nice, you know, two minutes on a slow news day. And it's a good story to tease into, and then it'll just turn into some, you know, bullshit story with some guy, you know. Oh yeah, we hire these thugs to, to follow you around to make sure you lose weight, which I'm sure Stephen King s- stole that idea for the Quitters Incorporated story, where you, you know you hired the agency that would start, you know, torturing your family if you smoked another cigarette. <laughs> And, uh, or, you know, I, I loved how he drove around with a confessional booth. What's funny is when they put the, the, um, Catholic priest hat on him, he looks like Father Guido Sarducci. <laughs> oh, this is great. But I, I love it. He was a, a pioneer on, I mean, his, his methods are used every day on the internet now and in many ways to get publicity. Uh, it, right. Just the other day. Um, Amazon with their drone delivery drone. Not that that's a hoax, but, but that's a hell of a good idea for a. It's hoax. a great idea, and it's right around Christmas time. You know, at that that's uh, the the basically when you look into it, they're thinking that they might have the technology for that around 2018. But then once you, that technology is developed, then there's all the logistics of, you know, how do you regulate that and all that. So you're really like looking that theoretically maybe 10 years down the road or whatever. But boy, oh boy, that made it. I, I reposted something about that because I, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh, man, all the all the little kids that are hackers are going to be just loading up on Amazon stuff. <laughs> with these things, you know, and, or filming jackass videos with them and stuff like that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was, it was, and and it's hoaxes a video ploy, but since they're they're a big company, ah, eh, they covered their ass on the hoax part, you know. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's distorted, but they let us distort it, you know. They let us blow it up into into a big deal. It's, well, that's one of the smart. things. I mean, like, you know, uh, certain – and maybe this is just the uh, – I don't know, the real the real lesson from this entire volume is certain hoaxes, it's almost like after a while they – it's almost like they they become self-aware and then self-propagating. Yes. And I think, you know, maybe – The ones Joe, with real legs will will evolve – 
over over years and years and years that's when you get into urban and become urban legends and just just keep going you know yeah yeah i think those things are very uh, they're so fascinating because i think they really point out things about our psyche you know the mass psyche that are consistent you know but people will keep no matter how much information you throw at people, they'll keep falling for the same things. You know, it's and usually it, a good story. <laughs> right. And, you know, there are circumstances where this comes not because of the facts, in spite of the facts. Mm -hmm. And the, and I'm just, I, I'm trying to, yeah, here it is. The, um, uh, a good example of that is on, um, page 26, the protocols of the elders of Zion. Oh yeah. Basically, it's it's this completely fabricated. Um, That's used to this day. To this day, I've, to I've this day. I have seen people on some conspiracy websites because yes, we did a just, we, we did an episode about conspiracy theories, and I wanted to be as up on it as I possibly could. I went to some uh, a couple of uh, conspiracy websites related to. Um, God, now I'm blanking on it. What was I looking for? I think it was maybe to do with information about alien autopsies. We ended up not talking about it, but or at least not very much. But um, one of the things that I found, though, was that uh, one of these um, – of the zillions of options out there for these UFO conspiracy pages, people f referencing the protocols of the elders of Zion as though this is accepted factual information, when in fact from beginning to end <clears> – <throat> The entire point of it, it was it was sort of I don't it's like the opposite of propaganda where mm -hmm. you use this you basically invent something uh, as basically bullshit evidence to justify scapegoating a, a particular group of people in this case the Jewish race and it has held on now for over a century and people still talk about this as though it's real even though we know for a fact that it's not. Well, you know, I mean. And the fact that people believe that this is the the minutes of a meeting with – I don't know actually if the Protocols of Elders of Zion is presented if it's a meeting as the a, a meeting with Satan as it was – because it was lifted from – was it a story or a play? It was, I thought it, it had was, a couple of sources. It wasn't – Yeah. Well, yeah. They, they pieced it together from, from a bunch of different stuff for, from fiction and then – so there's where you get your plausible deniability where it got turned from fiction into this. So you could ultimately blame the people who wrote the stories, but you say, oh, those people wrote them as fiction, which they probably honestly did, although it sounds like they had an axe to grind. Well, um, yeah, and I'm actually looking at it right now. I, I finally found it. It said um, Rakiovsky, I think it's Peter Rakiovsky, copied most of his track from two 19th century works of fiction, A Dialogue in Hell which was a satirical, satirical attack on France's Emperor Napoleon III by uh, Maurice Jolie, or Jolet, actually, my apologies, Jolet. And then the other one, I, how the hell do you pronounce this word? Is it Byritz? B-I-A-R-R-I-T-Z? I, I think B-I-A is like bear almost, or bar, buyer. Buyer, bear, well, whatever. However the hell you pronounce that word, an anti-Semitic uh, novel by Herman Gage. 
G-O-E-D-S-C-H-E, written by, or rather written under the pseudonym, Sir John Redcliffe. Because I guess if you make something Anglo enough, it somehow makes it more... Put evil. Sir on the front of it, too. <laughs> that always helps. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, those were the um, the two primary sources. But basically, in it, um, describes a secret meeting in a Jewish cemetery in Prague between the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel and the devil. There, they reported their methodical plans for world domination. And it's astounding how many people found this convincing, like, contemporaneously found this convincing, but also who didn't buy into it. Namely, Tsar Nicholas II, himself a devout anti-Semite, even he found this pretty tough to believe in. He didn't buy into it. Now, there came a point when the royal family was murdered, and that's when this kind of really took took hold. Um, and after that, it was used to justify pogroms and other things. And I'm told, or, or rather, this story tells us, indirectly inspired at least some aspects of Adolf Hitler's Mein Kampf and in a weird kind of roundabout way may have played some kind of a role in um, the German Holocaust. So strange to think that something that is so easily debunked lasted lasted uh, all of this time but also had such bloody consequences to it. Oh, I can understand the bloody consequences. I just don't understand the legs it has on. I've read parts of it, and it's it's yeah, it's ridiculous. Right. You know, it would basically be like somebody taking Gulliver's Travel at face value. But I guess if you have a predisposition against Jewish people, you know, and I also think there's a lot of people. Who, you know, they know it's not true, but they still hate the Jews. So they're like, fuck it, you know. If it's not true, it at least fits my worldview. And if somebody believes it's true and is going to go along with me, all the better, you know. So I think there's a lot of that. And, you know, there's a lot of cynicism mixed with ignorance. And then usually you have to mix in a solid you know amount of social trouble and economic trouble right. for people to grab onto something but it, you know it well, might have been something else besides this but this was there <laughs> yeah. at the time well and you know that was actually going to be my remark as to you know how like at the time if you didn't know that it was a hoax, I'm not saying that there's any justification for attempted genocide, okay? I'm not I, I'm not saying that. There's never I would never say that. But what I, I want to be careful on how I say this. I can understand why someone might might have found this believable at the time, you know, before it was generally known that it was completely contrived. Mm -hmm. To still buy into it now, like you say, I think the most likely is... explanation is they already hate the Jewish people and this is this is just a means to an end it's not about whether well they can also do the like of course it's debunked because you have the people it's because the people in power you know don't want you to believe this is true so they they've you know counter propagandized it and you know I mean I honestly think people there's people who are stupid enough it, stupid ignorant and or 
just hateful and biased enough in their minds. And they, they also mentioned how many times this book is, you know, it's one of the most published books, you know, of, in its time period, in its day. And, uh, so there's lots of old volumes of, although I've never seen one. I, I, I was wondering the other day if these are like very valuable now or if they're like verboten in like Germany, they probably are. I would imagine. But, um, you know, you get you get some guy who's ignorant, and somebody hands him an old book of you know of the Jews in world history, or the elders of Zion, or you know whatever name they the Jewish peril that they put it under, and they read this old book and they say, yeah, this is an old book. They don't want this, you know. Now they don't want this coming out, and they talk shit about it, and it and that can work for you, you know, having having people debunk things and be in opposition for you that are philosophically different from you can work to, to prop up this stuff really well, you know? Right. And maybe that's why it keeps going so much. It's, you know, of, of, of course they'll tell you it's, you know, that the comet hale bop does, isn't really a spaceship. They don't want people to know that that would cause world panic. Well, actually, you know what? And your example there actually sort of makes me think, like the Majestic 12, right? For a long time, that was debunked too. And we've, uh, what I heard, I, now, whether or not I believe in Majestic 12, apparently someone has uh, found uh, evidence that, who was it that they were they were supposedly reporting to? Was it Eisenhower or Truman or, it was one of them, I forget, it was I one of those. I think it was Truman. Well, whichever one it was, and it come to find out, at least at one point, supposedly there actually was something to that whole majestic 12 thing so uh, who knows well you know i mean that's the thing there can always be some now in the protocols of elders of zion i don't think there was really any kernel of truth of the jews plot colluding with the devil to to plot the the earth but no i I bring that up as a parallel not to say that right right no i i know what you mean but a lot of the times you know, and it happens a lot with the government is, you know, there was a time period where the government was trying out all different kinds of things, you know, like, well, let's get some psychics in here and see if there's anything to I remember psychics that, yeah. being able to do and, and testing out that stuff. Now, you know, the, the reason they pr- probably did it was actually scientific. They were like, if this if if there's actually something to this, then we should know about it and be able to exploit it. So they checked it out, and you know it seemed. And if if you look at it in a historical context, it seems they dropped it pretty quick. You know, because they were like, well, it's not panning out into anything. But just the fact that they did that sets up any You know, once you put down the basic premise that you don't trust the government and the government lies to you then you can say oh yeah well yeah they tried to to use psychics for three years and it air quotes didn't pan out but then they moved it into sub black operations you know double secret probation operations and stuff like that and of course they said they found nothing you know it it, it it came to nothing. That's what they want you to believe. So all you need is that kernel of something 
to give people just enough legitimacy to build off of. You know, all you need is a little something to build off of and people will. <laughs> right. Um, someday we're going to do a Freak Files on the Philadelphia Experiment. Oh, I can't but wait for that. That sounds the, great. The, the Philadelphia Experiment, just in itself, it's, it's, is its own story. But in the intervening years since it became a thing, since there was a book on it, um, has spun basically spin-off stories of it. There's there's stories going in all directions that just come off of um, the Philadelphia Experiment, which also sets another level because they all depend on the Philadelphia Experiment to be true. <laughs> right. So if you, de- if, you if anybody ever you know completely debunks the philadelphia experiment it's gonna murder off a whole bunch of other conspiracy experiments too and i love that stuff i love the creative aspect of it and i'm also one of the people who sort of i believe that yeah reality is kind of malleable some some somewhere there's a line where truth and fiction really sort of mixed together into a gray area of, you know, is is something actually true or is it false and even does it matter, you know? Almost to the point of, um, oh, what was that? That Tim Burton movie, uh, Big Fish. Right. It's a great... Where sometimes the story almost can trump reality <laughs> a good story can trump reality and uh whether it's true or not nobody's even gonna care they, they're just gonna want it have you have you heard the crickets yet nope have you heard the crickets yet <laughs> uh this was one this one i actually spent about three hours debunking last week and i was so happy and i actually i'll happen like the monday before the day before we were gonna um record last week so i was so happy that i'd found my the latest hoax and there's a there's a thing going around the internet and it's like usually a link to an article with a sound file that you can play and it's like this is the most amazing thing this is what crickets sound like when you slow them down and uh, you play the sound file, and usually you find one that's like anywhere from 10 minutes to 40 minutes long. And, you know, you hear what sounds like the most heavenly choir making this um, sort of cloying chord progression, you know, sort of a Vienna boys choir and, and another series of voices every once in a while just sort of improvising over it's beautiful it's hmm. it's a haunting little theme and there's harmonization going on and at the same time you hear wee 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 the crickets and then like about 30 seconds in you hear a male voice go the recording you're hearing right now is actually two tracks the the first track is the sound of the crickets as they were recorded, and the second track is being played simultaneously, and that's the crickets slowed down to the proportion of their metabolism to human metabolism. And I can't remember what that... 
and uh, this is what it sounds like. And uh, and it, and then it's like 20 more minutes of this going on. And it sounds like a repeating loop, but every once in a while you hear almost like a, a soloist doing a little little solo around it. And you don't hear words, but it's like... Hmm. Uh, uh, and it's very haunting and I was like this is amazing and you know my mind was kind of boggling at the at the idea that that's what's going on when you hear a cricket or a whole yard full of crickets and it also opens up questions of you know can insects operate on the complexity of making a harmonized you know little melody out of a pentatonic scale <laughs> and then loop it maybe they can which i mean birds can so whatever it's it's amazing and it's thought provoking and to and in a lot of ways probably to a lot of people even spiritual to listen to it right, right. so so it's propping up all sorts of things you know it's like you know, if you're religious, it's like, oh, listen, they sound like a heavenly choir of angels. And if you're a scientist, you could be like, oh, they're so I started doing some research into it and found and started finding articles about it. And and this one has like three or four has several layers to it. You know, the first thing I found was this recording was was traced back to the certain record producer who was on the same label as Robbie Robertson from the band was on the same label and he had recorded the crickets and slowed them down and didn't know what to do with them. And Robbie Robertson recruited this woman that he knows who was a beautiful singer and brought her in to listen to it and have her do the solo sort of parts around it. So that what the recording was actually of was the cricket slowed down, plus a plus a human woman, which is still pretty amazing. Right. But then there was another story, where they said they got down to the the basics of the track that Robbie Robertson showed the woman, and it was like, well, you know, it's not really truthful if you think about it as that this is just what the crickets sound like because what really happened was they recorded the crickets, they heard certain notes, and then they took an arranger and had him cut it all up and arrange it into a melody and then loop it. And then put the... So it's, so it's technically the crickets, but they've been cut up and rearranged into something human musically. Which sounds more, and then I'm reading that and I'm like, okay, that makes more sense. That's a kind of clicking in my mind. But <laughs> come to turn out, that's all bullshit. And wow. it, it's all bullshit. Somebody took the, took and isolated out the heavenly choir and found out that it was just like a choir, like a, it was, they couldn't find the recording, but it was a boys choir reversed and then with a phasing effect on it which they said is actually commonly used by composers to find new sort of melodic structures 
So so the recording was actually just someone took some crickets creaking, put it on top of them, and then had this this boys choir and looped it. And so if it, it sounds like it, the Vienna Boys Choir, there's maybe that's who it was. But it's 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 weird enough. It's distorted enough to where it's very haunting. It's beautiful. Somebody should still make a record, a, you know, a a song out of it. But yeah, and you know, the guy was like, "Here's some actual Smithsonian Institute recordings of crickets, and here they they slowed them down. Here's what they really sound like slowed down and of course, they sounded like computer noise, <laughs> wow. almost, or, or sticks being, ra- you know, raked together. It was nothing like a beautiful harmonized choir of of angels, but it's still, I'm, I'm seeing it almost, you know, two or three times a week posted by somebody on my Facebook feed. One guy was actually kind of a little irate with me for debunking it. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I don't see why someone's ego should be at stake whenever they post something on Facebook like that. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I post some, like if I share a link or a video or something like that and it comes out to be bullshit, I'd like I want to know, know about it. it. I'm, the, I'm, I'm fascinated in the process of fi- figuring out how it's bullshit, so I want to I know. I'd rather know it was bullshit. He wasn't... He wasn't mad at me in in so far as like I was calling him out because he didn't present it as fact. He's like, look at this. This is interesting. And uh, he was just he was just mad because I spoiled it. <laughs> I ruined the awesome feeling of like this, like magical thing that, it you know, that's a, that's a pretty magical thing to discover or whatever. Right, but um, if your if your understanding of it is predicated upon false a lie, story. yeah, I would. Yeah, then what good is it? It's just a, it's what I, it's the emotional crack hit. <laughs> it's yeah. listening to it going, ooh, wow! And when I was listening to it, I was like, this is beautiful, you know. And it gives you a good feeling, and it makes you think about stuff, and it and it and it gets your imagination going, and it and it hints at something you know, more magical and unseen to the world, you know. And it might be something that you, you know, that you never thought of, or it might be something that backs up something that you already thought of. But either way, it's a good feeling. But it's fake. <laughs> now, as to the lightning round, do you have anything else uh, that you that you just like to go over real quick, or are you are you tapped out, or? Oh, there's. I mean, just flipping through it, I've always loved the story of the woman who just got on the subway and finished the the marathon. You know, she just hopped on the subway, got about you know two miles from the finish line, and uh, oh. And just jogged to the finish. <laughs> Sat down next to the guy who'd finished all sweaty and just basically, you know, all fresh and and, and clean. That was that I love that stuff. The one that um jumped out at me as far as lightning round stuff goes, it's it's kind of a one page thing, sort of one and done. It's called the Pigeon Drop, page number one eighty one. And this is one of those things that 
I'm surprised would actually work on anybody, but basically the pitch of it is this, and this is a scam that we're talking about here. The pitch of it is this. Uh, you're you're a, in a room or a place or just whatever, supposedly with strangers, but actually they're secretly partners with each other. One of the two of them finds a wallet with uh, no ID in it, but it's got $20,000 in cash. And then they say, well, you know, best thing we can do is probably just split it all up. But you know what? Before we do this, this could be against the law. I better talk to my lawyer, right? You basically uh, deposit the money that you found with the lawyer, as well as a security deposit. Of- a good faith deposit. That's where my. That's where I would stop. That's where I'd be like, okay, what do you need that for? Why does God need a spaceship? Right, exactly. And, you know, it's one of those things that, on the one hand, I'm almost tempted to say, if you fall for this, you deserve whatever fleecing you get. <laughs> but on the other hand, I mean, they wouldn't do this if it didn't work. And there's uh, there's some... Pro- there's people who are great actors. Well, I don't know. It's just... It's I, ha- you wanna, I, I have a friend who fell for something very similar. It's a little... It was a similar... Similar, very similar... Not a dumb kid, but from the sticks like me, and he was actually on his first solo trip to New York City. He was driving down there to see his sister-in-law, and um, or her stepsister, sorry. And um, he he got fleeced. He got all his money <laughs> emptied out of his pocket when he first got to New York. He he got he drove in. Parked his car, went to a phone booth to call his his stepsister, and uh, while he was on the phone with her, uh, you know, sort of drunk bum sort of guy was like knocking on the window and like, hey man, I can't remember what it was. It was like a medallion or a coin or something, and it was like in a picture frame. And he's like, hey, do you want to buy this coin? or you know or whatever he's like I found this in the garbage and I don't know what's what's up with it but it's got a phone number on the back he's like will you call this number for me because I'm drunk and nobody's gonna listen to me blah 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 and he's like alright so he calls up the number and it's this woman and he's like hey um, you know there's this phone number on the back of here found this guy he's found you know your coin do you do you want it back and she starts flipping out she's like oh my god i can't believe that you found it it was just somebody just broke in and stole it like yesterday stole it from our house and she's like do you do you have it and he's like no and he's like there's this guy here with it he wanted me to call and she's like oh man it's probably the guy who stole it you know that's why he doesn't want to call me and she's like can you get it from him she's like if she's like i'll give you a thousand dollars if you can bring it back to me she's like it's been in our family for such a long time and she's just like just here's my you know you got my number if you can get it give me a call you know if not you know blah 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 call me back and we'll call the cops or whatever so he, you know, he buys it from the guy for all the money he's got in his pocket and uh, calls up the woman and she's like, oh my God, I can't believe you. Th- thank you so much. 
you know, we're going to give you a thousand dollars plus we'll pay you back whatever it is, you know, you paid for him. And he was like, oh, no, he said he was almost crying. He was so happy that he'd helped this lady. He felt so good that he'd helped her. And of course, when he went to her, the address she gave him, it was an office building that was just like, what? What are you talking about? Nobody lives here. This is an office building. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Look, I don't want to insult your friend, but... Oh, dumb as hell. I mean... I'm okay, good. Well, I'm glad you said it us. because, dude... I'm... I'm surprised he told us the story. But the thing, but the reason he told us, he's he was saying, I didn't know if I was going to tell anybody. And I think this is the important point of it. Is, is this kid... And this kid is, was not... This kid was kind of a cynical prick <laughs> in a lot of ways you know it's it, he was usually the one pulling pulling something the wool over someone's eyes and and he said that the reason he said you know when he got it happened so fast that it wasn't until he got a chance to think about it that all of a sudden it made sense as being a hundred percent bullshit from the very beginning because it was just the way it played out was so convincing and the people were so good at what they were doing that he got emotionally involved in it and you know before you know it your money's your money was gone so i think basically he was telling us saying don't think that <laughs> somebody can't trick you into doing it you know i don't know i mean maybe i'm maybe i'm not giving this guy the benefit of the doubt or maybe i'm thinking too highly of myself but jesus i mean dude really i mean do you really think it's that easy you know but look i look I, like i said i don't want to talk smack about you the never want to think it's that e you never want to think it's that easy but you know it's it's that it's it's in the moment you know and as a matter of fact he was saying he wasn't even thinking of it from the profit from a profit motive he was thinking about it oh. he said he was just so happy that he could help this woman she seems so grateful <laughs> and so you know so amazed that you know he had found her their family coin her you know whatever the story was well, so, yeah, don't get you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of stuff in here, and geez, I mean, you could make 20, 30 minute bits out of all this stuff, mm -hmm. but I mean, we're starting to go kind of long here. Um, tell you what, why don't you just, uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, tell everybody where they where they can find you, as if they don't know, but just in case. I, I, you can find me where you can find Trentus here at the two true .com website. Of course, so we're also on iTunes under the two true freaks two banner since it's our site. We were on Libsyn before, right? So that was actually two true freaks on iTunes. Now it's two true freaks two, where if you subscribe to our main feed, you'll get Trentus's show plus what the. We have like 25 shows in our listing. I would say more than half of them are actively, you know, hosting all the time. So, 
every subject in the world can be found in the nerd world can be found on twotruefreaks.com just about and if it's not it's probably coming soon right and there's all kinds of stuff with um especially with two true freaks there's uh star trek monthly monday star wars monthly monday comics monthly monday commentary monthly monday and then there are little sort of sidebar two true freaks things those are like our generalized podcasts and then and then like there's a lot of i mean um sean engel has just one of the guys podcast which is very specifically about you know green lantern and uh and you know and focusing into the guy gardner character so you know, some some of them are very very specific. We have one that's specifically on Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Um, you got you got hope in the general area where her podcast could could be about anything that she feels like doing, as is yours, basically. Right. Well, the point is, you know, there's all kinds of uh, really cool stuff in there to uh, listen to. So I hope that all of you are subscribed to two true freaks in general i mean it's not that i don't appreciate having a separate feed for myself i do but at the same time if i could have my druthers i'd i'd really like it if uh, people could subscribe to two true freaks in general i think that's in a lot of ways that's uh, maybe the more entertaining way to go so i personally that's the way i would do it because i like the idea of it's almost like um subscribing to a radio station or something you have you have different shows Eh, you know you're not going to listen to all the shows you, you some some people are some people are going to be interested in everything that we do and that's wonderful but i totally understand people only being inter- interested in a certain percentage of our podcast but you know i mean once they you know once they pop up you don't have to download all of them so you can always excise the ones but i always like giving people the option to sort of you know to, to just grab one or two of them or, you know, however they want to consume them. Because right. that's... Since it's not like a huge money-making <laughs> venture in any stretch of the imagination, we might as well just try to make everything as accessible and the way people want it, you know? Right. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, and yeah, you know, I mean, I, I don't download everything. I mean, you know, I'll do respect to the people who do the show i've pretty much bowed out of walking dead wednesday because i think i've pretty much bowed out of the walking dead Dead. and so and i'm i'm actually starting to think that includes the comic book but definitely the show and uh so you know i can understand that you know maybe you don't want to get everything but but you know the way i see it there's something to be said for the right of refusal so you know Mm -hmm. even if you don't want it right now there's still maybe value in downloading it because you may want it sometime in the future i mean if i had a nickel usually what i do is i just save up back to the bins episodes and just mm. listen to them all in, then, all in a shot and then wait a couple more what and the, yeah just binge on them yeah and you know uh well whatever anyway so <clears throat> so that's uh, basically that so um so uh, to uh, you chris thank you very much i appreciate you taking the time two and a half hours <laughs> to uh, uh yeah. to uh, join almost me. as long as a conspiracy I love this topic. I could talk about this topic and all the topic. And, you know, when you start getting into, you know, this sort of is a co-hoax media show. And I could talk about that stuff forever. I love that. I love this topic. So I very rarely get a chance to talk about this stuff. So very excited. 
I'm always glad that when you can make it onto the show. So I think that's it for this time. Two and a half hours. You can't you can't say you guys didn't get your money's worth. So bye everybody, and I'll see you next week. Enjoy the two true freaks internet radio broadcast. Illogic, foolish emotions, a constant irritant, and transparent freak. Two. Come on in the circus. <laughs> right next to the dog-faced boy. True. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Oh, it's a super prize package worth $9,388. Money. This isn't the biggest bag over the head. Punch in the face I ever got. God damn it! And now, together by live simulation via the internet, your hosts, Scott Gardner. He killed a police officer for Christ's sake. Yeah, goddamn lucky he didn't kill all. And Chris Honeywell. Keep away! Keep away from me! You are physically repulsive, intellectually retarded, vulgar, insensitive, selfish, stupid. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. Me? Yeah, because she thought you're some kind of freak. Now, come on, let's hey, go. She likes me, eh? No way. Shut up, you freak! You're going to get a shoe. I say shut up! It's a man house! A man house! TwoTrueFreaks.com Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mike. Man, it sure is great to be back to From Crisis to Crisis after all this time. It's been a busy year for both of us. For very different reasons. But now we're ready to cover the post-Death and Return Superman stories. Yeah, and we're about to start the books that came out in 1994, which means that we have so much to look forward to, like Bizarro's World. The Battle for and Fall of Metropolis. Superman Doomsday, Hunter, Prey. Worlds Collide. Well, you're looking forward to that one. Oh, bite me. Zero hour. Zero month. And right there at the end, we have Dead Again. And don't forget, the Elseworlds annuals as well. Well, most of them anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. some of those really did suck, don't they? But From Crisis to Crisis is back. New episodes will drop on Thursday, just like before. You can find the show at the Superman homepage, www.supermanhomepage.com, as well as at the Superman Podcast Network, which is at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. 
And we also have a Facebook page that you can like by going to www.facebook.com slash from crisis to crisis a superman podcast dot com. Is it dot com on there? No. No, no, it's not. No, no dot com. Forget that. <laughs> so from crisis to crisis is back, folks, and better than ever. Well, I'm better than ever. You need some work. No, shut up. No, you 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 shut up. From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast covering the post-crisis adventures of Superman one half month at a time. Every Thursday at www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailitude.com. I prowl the rooftops and alleyways at night, searching for justice, blind justice, a guardian devil. (coughs) No, 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 that's not actually true. I'm not Daredevil, blind attorney by day and fearless crime fighter by night. No, I am J. David Weeder, a podcaster, but you can call me Dave. I do read about Daredevil and his adventures, and I podcast about it on my show, Dave's Daredevil Podcast. You see, it's, it's my Daredevil, you get it, you get it. Every Sunday, I read a Daredevil comic and share my thoughts and feelings on the issue, the characters, and the world of Marvel's Man Without Fear in an easily accessible audio form. And I want to take you along for the ride, so tune in each week as we meet Daredevil, his villains, his loves, and more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at. That is every Sunday on iTunes and at www.daredevilpodcast.com. That is daredevilpodcast.com. Take the dare. Listen to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Did I really just say take the dare? Okay, so I'm back now. Normally, this would be the end of the episode, but it seems that even though the last episode where I read feedback and solicited some more iTunes reviews hadn't even come out when these iTunes reviews were were put in... I guess some of you were really ahead of the curve here because you knew what I was going to ask for, and so, before I asked, you delivered. So, fair is fair. Both of these iTunes reviews were written on January the 2nd, 2014. The first is, is, is uh, entitled Good Stuff, written by UMBC81, and he writes, Trennis provides short, simple synopses and thoughtful commentary, and delivers it in a deadpan style. You should give it a listen. To which I reply, first of all, thank you very much. I appreciate you, first of all, uh, taking the time to listen. And uh, as always, thank you for taking the time to to write an iTunes review. I've written my share of iTunes reviews uh, over, I don't know, past several years, really, but the last year or so especially. So I know that it's a little bit more of a pain in the neck to do that rather than you know send an email or dash something off on facebook and stuff so thank you very much umbc81 thank you appreciate it and um to the rest of you i i just ask you know keep them coming so next up this itunes review comes from socrates in miami and socrates in miami writes i became aware of trennis listening to a great promo the promo led to Trennis Magnus's fantastic single-host show about geek stuff, focusing on comic books. The comic books reviewed on the show are great, but pity the comic that's labeled Weak Sauce. 
Trentus is, is also selective about the comics or topics and pays attention to what other podcasts have or will review, keeping the material rather unique, i.e. Elseworlds. This is extremely important as Trentus provides a f- further unique commentary on these comics that other podcasts do not. Funny, comic smarts, and geeky all mixed into one Trentus podcast. Oh, and because San Diego is for hipsters. Great line from the host himself. So, first of all, Socrates in Miami, thank you for taking the time to write. And second, my exact words were, Wizard World Austin is upon us. From November 22nd to 24th, 2013, Austin, Texas will be kept that much weirder thanks to con appearances by Stan Lee, Mark Bagley, Neil Adams, Dennis O'Neill, Greg Land, Greg Capullo, Smallville's Erica Durantz, William Shatner, Robert Rodriguez, Norman Reedus, Tombstone's Michael Rooker, Bruce Freakin' Campbell, Ralph Macchio, the one from Karate Kid, not the Marvel editor, James Hong, Smallville's James Marsters, Scott Bakula, and shitloads of others. But most importantly of all, His Excellency Trentus Magnus himself will be in attendance with his lovely girlfriend Stacy. Wizard World Austin. Because San Diego is for pussies and hipsters. So there you go. But yeah, um, I guess I better uh, take it from the from the top. Um, what you wrote was Magnus's fantastic single host show about geek stuff focusing on comic books. Now, you might ask why it is that I've focused so much on comics, and really the reason for that is because, as I think is going to become clear in an in an episode I've got. Not on the back burner, but it's just it, it's further along in the pipeline, right? It's not really ready to come out yet. But in that episode, basically what I talk about is what I think is I don't want to be you know all all dramatic and stuff about it and call it a threat to fandom or something like that. But basically, I think a lot of fans place way too big a premium on television shows or on movies or that kind of stuff. And keep in mind, I've been guilty of this myself, all right? But it just kind of feels like we're at sort of a cross crossroads with fandom to where it's almost like the comics are incidental, right? And the bigger issue so to speak, is who plays which character or which director directs which movie or something like that. And I have to tell you, as far as geek stuff is concerned, my first love really is comics. And I kind of associate, right or wrong, fair or not, I kind of associate an obsession with movies and uh, TV shows based on comics with people that aren't really comics fans. And so, you know, I'm sure that there are a lot of people listening to this who might feel a little butthurt over that, and I apologize, but it's just, that's just sort of the way that that I've come to, f- to feel about it, whether it's, like I said, whether it's fair or not, whether it's right or not. That's just kind of been my, my reference point. You know, there are so many podcasts out there that talk about 
TV shows and, and talk about comics and, and, and or talk about movies. And what I mean by that are TV shows and movies based on comics. Tons of podcasts do that. In fact, I'm not going to name names except to say he he is not on the Two True Freaks Network. He has nothing to do with the Two True Freaks Network. But there's some fucking douchebag out there who runs his own podcast. And literally, it's only about not just movies, but I think primarily about movies and shows about a particular character, right? And... In other places, I've sort of had my own unpleasant confrontations. Well, not confrontations, because that makes it sound really worse than it was. But I've just had unpleasant experiences with this just fucking prick. All right? And so... Um, and that's the kind of podcast he runs. And that's not the kind of show that I want to have. I want to have a show that predominantly focuses on comics. And to me, the other thing here is that if I really want to set myself apart in uh, the world of podcasting, what I find is that weekly comic book talk really is not as common as you may think. And um, since we're kind of on the subject, one of the things that I've got coming up, um, I'm not really sure how exactly this is all going to play out, or for that matter, when, but I do have a series of episodes coming fairly soon where I'm going to kind of move away from the superhero genre and uh, talk about even if it still has a superhero in it, it's still going to be sort of off the beaten path, right? So I I don't want to mention everything that I've got on on the docket here because I want to hold a few things in reserve as a surprise, but I'm going to be talking about Animal Man, Strangers in Paradise, and Sandman Mystery Theater. Now, that leaves a lot of stuff on the table that I'm not mentioning, but those are going to be a few of the things that I'm that I'm talking about. Animal Man, Strangers in Paradise, and Sandman Mystery Theater. And like I said, the reason for that is because even though uh, two of those are very much in still in the superhero milieu, they're far enough outside of the kind of stuff that I've kind of fallen into covering that I think it'll be a nice little breath of fresh air. So... That's something to just to just be aware of. Now, the other thing is that I've got uh, the big book report that I do every uh, seventh episode. Um, I, I do that with with Chris Honeywell, the co-host of uh, Two True Freaks, and there's really no one else that I'm going to do that show with. And the reason for that is because I think, look, Chris has never come out and and said this, but I get the impression that he sometimes gets into a little bit of a rut himself with uh, all these superhero comics. And I'm not bashing on superheroes. I love superheroes, and that's actually my preferred genre of comics. But at the same time, there's more to comics as a form than just superheroes. And the the purpose of... It's not even an official miniseries that I'm doing. It's just basically a, a series of six episodes where I talk about comics that are a little more off the beaten path, all right? Uh, these are not underground comics by any stretch of the imagination, but they're a little bit more off the beaten path, and they're definitely far away from what I would consider to be traditional superhero-type stuff. Now, again, triple underline this part, I love superheroes, nothing against them, but it's, you know, comics, like I said, can be so much more than that, 
And I want my show to be more than that. And so that's the reason for doing stuff like the Big Book Report. That's the reason for doing uh, this, like I said, this upcoming sh uh, series of shows where I talk about, um, I guess, non-traditional type of comics. Again, not underground stuff, because this, all this stuff is published by DC and Image and whatnot. Marvel, I think, is in there. But this is just, like I said, a little bit... It's just kind of different, right? And that's just the kind of show that I want to have. You know, I love comics. And, you know, like I said, I, I, I just feel like there are so many shows out there that that almost myopically focus on other things that it almost kind of feels like, you know, they're missing the forest for the trees, right? And now it's not for me to second guess somebody else's content. Somebody else, you know, other podcasters, they've got to do their shows the way that they feel is best. I do my show the way I feel is best for me. And so, again, if you take nothing else away from this, I'm not bashing on them. Except for the unnamed podcaster I was talking about a minute ago who only does a podcast about one fucking subject, and that guy can go fuck himself as far as I'm concerned. But again, he's not on the Two True Freaks Network, so we're okay. So, anyway, it's 50-50 that you've even heard of the guy. Although you've probably heard of his website, the fucking prick. But anyway, so that's that stuff. So, and, and, that's, and that's the reason for all of this attention that I've been paying uh, to comics. I think other things have kind of suffered as a result of that. And to be honest, there are plans to, well, kind of loose plans, but there are plans to address that too. Much further down the line, I'm going to do a series about a certain type of movie that I, uh, or types of movies that I feel have just kind of gotten the, gotten the shaft. You know, I feel like they're just tragically underrated as far as films go, and it, it pains me. And so the purpose of it is, uh, of this series of shows about movies that I've got, I mean, this is so far fucking in the future, I don't even have a release date, right? That's how far off we're talking about. It may, it, it probably won't even be, yeah, it looks like it's going to be, actually, and I do have a release date, I take that back, boy. Um, this is actually going to be uh, this during the summer, 2014 during the summer. I'm gonna I'm gonna get into uh, these movies that, like I said, I think are just criminally underrated. That for some reason, people nobody nobody but me apparently seems to like them very much. And uh, I'm gonna talk about them. But to get going on comics, especially to start, I wanted that to be my primary focus because. Like I, said, like I said, for all the reasons that I've just said before. So, no sense beating that shit to death. So, But if you're curious, that's why. So, anyway. Now, the next thing that you bring up is uh, Pity the, the Comic that's labeled Weak Sauce. Now, I listened to Two True Freaks and Views from the Long Box and really... A bunch of other podcasts, and what I've heard Michael Bailey and Scott Gardner both say is that they don't want to be thought of as the angry, ranty guy in the room. You know, the guy that any subject you bring up, he just has a fucking meltdown right there. He starts cursing up a blue streak and just getting really offensive and stuff. And they they both said that, you know what, they didn't want to be that guy. Now, before I started my own podcast, I guess my attitude about it was... Okay, so if people think of you as the reactionary in the room, 
Well, whatever. I mean, at least you've got a brand identity in the marketplace. I mean, what are you what are you complaining about? Never mentioned that to him. It was just something that I did not understand at the time. Having started my own podcast now, I completely understand where they're coming from. Because what I've kind of sort of un- come to understand is that that sort of Sam Kennison kind of meltdown anger discourse is it may be funny to listen to like once or twice, you know, but dude, you, you cannot go on that way. And so, and, and I guess the other thing is you get to the point where fucking nobody takes that seriously. You know, after a while, you're sort of the clown, you know, and what everybody expects you to do is just have these, these big funny, you know, meltdowns all the time. And if you don't, they feel like they're getting ripped off. And so I didn't understand where Scott and Michael were coming from whenever they said this stuff years ago. I totally understand it now. <sighs> now, that having been said, I've, just in the course of running this show as I have, one of the things I've come to realize is that me and the prevailing fan sentiment on a lot of things, we're just never going to see eye to eye. Maybe that's the best way to put it. And there are certain things out there that just seriously scrape my nerves, you know? And to be fair, I mean, I've, I, I've made a lot of hay of not enjoying Jeff Loeb's writing. All right. And but I think the thing, though, that really stood out, the thing that really got a lot of attention, not all of which was welcome, was me talking about Superman 2. By which I mean the real Superman 2, Richard Lester's cut of Superman 2. And I guess I thought when I first started recording that, that. A certain number of fans out there, I guess you could call it maybe the great silent majority, would agree with me on that. And to be fair, quite a few of them did. But what ended up happening was there were a lot of lines that got drawn in the sand over that when, guys, it's just, all this show is, is just some skinny redheaded guy sitting in his home office talking shit. You know, that's really all it is. And but people really got offended over that. They really got worked up. And again, I mean, maybe this kind of works back to the to the angry ranty guy thing that Scott Gardner and Michael Bailey have both said that they don't want to be. But, you know, my intention wasn't to be, you know, in saying all that stuff, it wasn't, you know, my intention wasn't to be uh controversial or scandalous or provocative or whatever the fucking TV critics li- like to say in their little reviews. It was just basically to to present a point of view about Superman 2 that, honestly, I have never heard anybody else except for me ever say. Ever. And so, like I said, I mean, it, it was a double-edged sword. A lot of people agreed with me, you know, Hey, hey, Magnus knocks this one out of the park. You know, good, good episode. You know, especially for it being so early on in the show. Good, good episode. Good, you know. But then there was another part of the uh, of the fan base that wanted to just bite my head off. 
and uh, you know, I just wanted to tell these guys, I'm like, look, I'm one guy. You know, this is just some asshole's opinion, dude. If you don't agree with it, that's fine. You know, whatever. But anyway, and so, and then the same, to a lesser degree, the same kind of thing happened whenever I did my uh, review reviews actually of uh, of uh, Superman for all seasons and Superman uh, secret secret origin right a lot of people they they may have found those shows entertaining but a lot of people kind of took that personally in a way that honestly I did not intend and so you know the last thing I want to do is make people feel like you know, if you don't agree with every single thing that I say that you're some asshole or something like that, you know, I don't want to give that impression. Look, I like the stuff that I like. And if I don't like something you like, well, dude, who won that argument? All right. You have a great comic book now that you can read anytime you want. And I don't. I can never read that comic book and, and, and enjoy it. You tell me who won that one. All right. But people really kind of took that stuff personally, you know, like this was some sort of great affront upon them. And, you know, I can't control the way that other people are going to react. So what I've tried to do is just be a little, maybe a little more tempered. Maybe that's the way to put it. Just a little more uh, graceful, you know, when it comes to, when it comes to dealing with this stuff. Now, a lot of people thought it was hilarious that I couldn't even finish my review of Superman Secret Origin and just kind of said, fuck it, I'm done. And didn't even finish going through all of my notes and everything. But, you know, is that really worth people feeling all ticked off and offense, uh, or offended? You know, taking offense at, you know, the things that I said just because they happen to like Secret Origin? Of which, by the way, people, one of them was my girlfriend. She loves Secret Origin. Anyway, so, no, in the end, I decided I can... If I'm going to file a negative review about something, maybe what I should do is just try to be a little more gentle about it. So, anyway, that's that stuff. Your next point here is Trennis also is also selective about the comics or topics and pays attention to what other podcasts have or will review. Now, again, there's a reason for that. What I wanted to do when I first started this show was talk about stuff that as far as I could tell nobody else was talking about that's part of it now the other part of it is I consider Scott Gardner to be a friend and Chris Honeywell to be a friend Michael Bailey J. David Weeder others I consider them to be my friends and the last thing you want to do to to somebody that you call a friend is basically steal their ideas, you know, their creativity. In fact, you know what? Fuck it. Here's a story that never gets told. Starting Trentus Magnus Punches Reality, that was not the first time I'd considered starting a podcast. Okay? The first time I actually considered starting a podcast was actually, I want to say it was probably around... Oh, gee, let me think. Eh... I don't know, maybe May or something like that, April or May of 2009, all right? I didn't really have much of a format worked out. In fact, I didn't really have much of a plan in terms of what I, what all I was going to do worked out, right? 
<clears throat> all I had was basically an idea of how I was going to start the show, right? Basically, I was going to kick my podcast off in a very certain way. Excuse me while I take a drink off of my Dr. Pepper here. <clears throat> As I say, all I, all I really had was just an idea of how I wanted to start my, my podcast, right? And again, this was back in, I don't like, April something of 2009, right? And basically, my idea was this. Starting with episode number one, I was going to start talking about my first year of collecting. Episode number two, my second year of collecting. Episode number three, so on and so on, right? And then, I want to say it was around that time that Michael Bailey from Views from the Longbox started doing the build-up to his 100th episode. And that's actually the very thing that he came up with all by himself, independently of me, because I never told anybody about this. He came up with this all on his own. Starting with, I think it was like episode number 85 or something like that of uh, Views from the Longbox. Michael Bailey started basically this series where he talked about his collecting history, things that were going on in his personal life, you know, and it was, uh, to this day, I regard that as being the views from the long box equivalent of Abbey Road, all right? I mean, that podcast series, if you guys have never heard it, episode number 84, Five or 86 or something of uh, views from the long box going all the way right on through to episode number 100, right? Where Michael Bailey basically talks about everything and it's fucking awesome. This is, if this is not the greatest podcast series I've ever heard anybody do, it's in the top five. I mean, this thing is just, it's awesome on a cracker, all right? Is, is really what it comes down to, right? He had a not the exact same idea, but an idea that was very similar to what I was thinking about doing. He just took it so much further than I ever would have dreamed. I was never, I was never going to go as far with it as he did, right? So number one, his his in, his in uh, product, which again triple underline this part, he came up with this all on his own, totally independent of me. All right, I'm not accusing him of anything. I'm saying that maybe it's just great minds think alike, but. We just coincidentally had a very similar idea at about the same time, right? That's what I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Anyway. But because of how just fucking awesome a job he did with with that uh, podcast series, I thought, you know what? There's literally at this point nothing I could come up with that's going to be able to compete with that. You know, I mean, you talk about a shot across the bow. I mean, he sent me to school, right? So, and then the, the whole idea of doing a podcast just kind of withered on the vine there for a lot of years. And then it was sort of brought back over, over the summer of uh, 2013. Because, what, again, what I noticed was that there was a dimension to a lot of uh, uh, geek podcasts that I felt was sort of being overlooked. And so I thought I could kind of fill the void a little bit on that. And in the process, you know, just kind of bring... Well, hopefully bring a little bit of my own personality to it and maybe do things differently from everyone else so that ideally nobody feels like I'm stealing their ideas. Because, I mean, 
that is what I have a pathological fear of. You know, I mean, as a podcaster, you take everything else away. What I am deathly afraid of is that someone, either, I, either I'll unintentionally copy somebody else's idea, or it will look like I've intentionally copied somebody else's idea. And, that, and I don't want that, you know? Whatever I do on this show, I want it to have... I mean, look. Probably hundreds of podcasts have talked about John Burns' Man of Steel, but nobody has ever given my opinion about it, right? So I don't mean like so much, you know, stealing like, uh, I don't know, basically talking about comics that nobody, that, uh, excuse me, that nobody else is. Because that's, I don't, I don't even think that's possible. I mean, there are so fucking many comic book podcasts out there that there's no way I can talk about stuff that nobody else has. There's just not enough comics to do that. But what I can do is bring my own perspective to it. And like I said, the last thing I would ever want is for someone to think that I'm copying their ideas. Which, by the way, that's another reason that my Star Wars uh, shows are, are going away. Because now that I'm on the Two True Freaks Network, the last thing I would ever want to do is make them f- is, is make Chris and Scott feel like I'm competing with them. When it comes to Star Wars stuff, fact is, there's plenty of there. There's plenty of everything for everybody, and so because of that, I've decided, you know, I'm gonna you know phase out my uh, Star Wars uh, episodes and replace that with Smallville, and I'm taking another drink. Mm, Dr. Pepper. All right, so. So that's that stuff. So I guess all of this is a really fucking long way of saying thank you. I really do appreciate you saying that because I've, I feel like I've kind of gone a little far out of my way to be different from everybody else. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that you, that, that you picked up on that. So, you know, that's, that's very gratifying. and I'm very thrilled. Thank you. So you go on to say that this is extremely important as... Trentus provides a further unique commentary on these comics that other podcasters do not. And again, that was kind of the whole the whole agenda there. I never wanted to be like anybody else. And so, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. It's it's. I got to tell you, man. This is, you know, this is one of the most gratifying iTunes reviews that I've ever gotten because it feels like, okay, fuck it, great. Somebody out there gets it. You know, somebody understands, you know, what it is that I'm trying to do and what I'm trying to not do. So anyway, so thank you very much. Appreciate that. Uh, you go on to, uh, let's see. Now, where was I? Further, you need commentary on these comics that other podcasts do not. Yeah. Funny comic, or rather funny, comic smarts and geeky all mixed into one Trentus podcast. Oh, and because San Diego is for hipsters. Yeah, we should probably talk about that. Um... I haven't read that stuff on the air. Well, on the air. I don't even know what that means. I haven't read that stuff on mic. Um, or for that matter, even really talked about the reaction to that. But dude, you would not believe the way some people reacted. In fact, you know what? Fuck it. There were basically two reactions to that, right? And it seemed to be right down the center, 50-50. There was a group of people out there who are... 
even well, I'm not disgusted with what San Diego Comic Con has become, because let's face it, I mean anything. Look, we all have to work for a living, especially these days in this economy, right? So I don't begrudge anybody involved with San Diego Comic Con for letting the thing turn into this. This I don't know this Hollywood infomercial. All right, I, I you know what. I've got nothing against them. I have no ill will. In fact, you know what? If I ran my own Comic-Con and I had a lot of interest in Hollywood, dude, ethics, I would sell out so fast it would make your head spin. So believe me, the last thing I'm going to ever do is criticize them for running a successful operation. All right? It's never, it's never going to happen. But at the same time, it just kind of feels like There came a point, I guess it was in the 90s, but there came a point when San Diego Comic-Con stopped being about comics and became about just about everything else. And you know what? There's an entire group of people out there to whom that will appeal and more power to them. But that's not me, you know? And and so I just thought I was going to take just kind of a little bit of a cheap shot at what San Diego Comic-Con has become, right? That's That was literally all I had in mind, you know, just doing that and then calling it a day. And as I said, there are people out there that were very much on board with that, but holy fucking Moses, there were people out there who were not on board with it, who called me everything except a stupid mick, which, by the way, I get to say because I am a Mick. People out there calling me just all different kinds of names. You know, this, that. They basically questioned my my lineage on my mother's side, my personal hygiene, and my probable destination in the afterlife. All of that stuff, you know. I mean, one little joke, and they just tore me apart. And so, anyway, anyway. I'm glad you enjoyed that line, because like I said, I mean, you seem to be, you seem to be kind of zoned in on everything that I'm doing, and again, I really appreciate that, but there was a, there's a, a big group of people that they just about had a meltdown whenever they heard that line, because like I said, you wouldn't believe half the shit that was said, so anyway, thank God there were no death threats, but uh, man, they said everything else, so all kinds of names and stuff like that, so... And, you know, whatever. I mean, when I was growing up, I had two older brothers, a lot of older cousins. We had cable TV in the house as far back as I can remember. And I went to public school. So, as you can imagine, it takes a lot for language to offend me. So if somebody wants to send me some kind of, you know, cur- you know cussy email and all this kind of stuff, well... I, they'd have to get really creative in order for me to get, like, really deeply offended by that. So, anyway, so that's that. And that's pretty much it for feedback this time around. Well, actually, you know what? Fuck it. Since I'm here, I'm just going to do a quick a, a quick reload on my Gmail account. Yeah. Yeah, that looks to be it. I got some spam here, but that's about it. All right. So, that's it for um, email this time around. So, I just want to encourage everybody again... To uh, if you have a moment, go to iTunes and uh, and 
just file a review of my show. I mean, and it doesn't even have, I mean, I would prefer it be a positive review, but if you, you know, if you have a, a gripe about something I've said, fuck it, dude, let's talk about it. So that's that. You can also send, uh, direct your feedback to trentusmagnus at gmail.com. That's T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S at gmail.com. Um, and if you want to find me on Facebook, you can find me uh, by searching for Trentus Magnus. That's T-R-E-N-T-U-S-S-M-A-G-N-U-S-S. Now, you might wonder, why does my name on Facebook have two S's, but everything else doesn't? In other words, why is it Trentus Magnus? rather than just Trentus Magnus, right, um, as my Facebook name. Well, the reason for that is actually rather simple. Um, what ended up happening was I ended up getting um, a crosswise with this dumb son of a bitch on, a, on a Facebook, and he took, it apart, he took it upon himself to report me to the Zuckerberg Mafia. Hey, this motherfucker's using a fake name. Well, you, dude, you're damn right I'm using a fake name. Come on, man, this is Facebook. Anyway, so it's a long story. I, I don't even know that I want to go into it here, but, you know, I guess the short version is just about everything, uh, as far as, like, personal information is concerned, pretty much everything that I put on Facebook is complete fucking bullshit, right? In fact, you know what? Fuck it. I'll, I'll, I'm going to read you a couple of examples of stuff that I have on my page that is complete horseshit. Take my current city, for example. According to Facebook, I live in Springfield, Texas. I live in Texas. It ain't Springfield. My employment history. Oh, this one. This one's probably my favorite. Um, let's see. Tasteful selection not to do it. Yeah. Um, I worked at Big Kahuna Burger from January 1994 to December of 1996. I worked for Luther Court from January 1997 to December 1999. I worked as a mad scientist at Acme Corporation from January 2000 to December of 2002. Cyberdyne Systems from January 2003 to December of 2005. Credit Dauphine from January the 26th to December the 28th. The list, fucking, the list just, just just goes on and on and on and on, right? Dunder Mifflin, Vandalay Industries, Inatech, all fictional fucking companies. And you want to know why? Because I don't want Facebook selling this information. Because fuck it, I am going to get into it. I don't want Facebook profiting somehow off of my actual information. So I give them bullshit information. They don't have the real town that I lived in. They don't have my real employment history. Shit, they don't even have my... They don't even have my real educational history. What, motherfucker, do you think I actually worked at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry? Nah. Or, I guess, went to school at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. That's not where I went to school. I also didn't go to school at Smallville High. I did not graduate from Bovine University. But I put that stuff in there because... And apparently, I'm not the only one who feels this way. Um, as it turns out, Chris Honeywell... I don't know how I missed this, but Chris Honeywell, ages ago, recorded a, um, a, a, a it was an episode of uh, Two True Freaks Storytellers, where he, at least at the time, had a, uh, a policy about why he won't be your friend on Facebook, right? 
and he and I are coming at this from very much the same point of view. What I think Facebook is, when you, when you take everything else away, Facebook is all about marketing, all right? It's about information gathering. It's about selling your private stuff to whoever wants it, right? Now, and I'm, this I am actually, because this is actually a very good point. Uh, this actually comes from Chris in his uh, Storytellers episode, but you guys should check it out and listen to it for yourself because it's, it is enlightening. Um, basically, though, it comes down to this. Let's say that your name, two advertisers, right? Your name, maybe to them, is worth a dollar. But suppose they could attach a real social network to that, you know, of real people, real friends, real family, you know, real coworkers, real classmates, stuff like that. Well, that's, maybe that's worth five dollars. And let's suppose that they have your, your actual street address. Maybe that's, maybe that's $10 now. And let's suppose they have your complete educational history. Maybe that's 15 bucks now. And you know what? Fuck it. For fun and games, now they know your complete employment history. Maybe that's 20 bucks, right? On and on and on. All these different things that you can like, all these little groups that you can join, and all that stuff. Well, you, guys, you're talking big money, all right? And what, you think Facebook isn't going to sell that information to people? Yeah, I know they say they won't. What's to stop them? Okay, suppose that they did, that they that it came out tomorrow that they were they, they were selling all this stuff. How many of you would file a lawsuit? Yeah, that's what I thought. Neither will anyone else. All right. The fact of the matter is, especially these days, the only way you can really keep your information secure is if you keep it to your fucking self. Simple as that, right? Now, I've kind of bent the, the rules here a little bit because I really am in a relationship with my girlfriend, and that's listed on Facebook. And I am friends with people I've gone to school with and worked with in the past and all that kind of stuff, right? So some of this information is real, right? But guys, I mean, you know, at the very least now, they have to go through all of my stuff with a fine-tooth comb, all right? They can't take anything that I put on Facebook for granted. Maybe it's true, but maybe it's not. I've now introduced more than enough reasonable doubt upon all of my information. And I encourage all of you to do the same, all right? There is nothing in it, nothing at all, in telling them, giving them, real information. There's nothing in it for you, okay? Yeah, it may make you easier to find to, some, to somebody you went to school with 20 years ago, but is that really worth your privacy to you? I'm not judging, I just want, these are, look, these are all decisions that we have to make for ourselves, all right? If that's a price that you're willing to pay, hey, be my guest, all right? I'm just saying that it's not a price that I'm willing to pay.
course, to be fair, the family that I'm interested in keeping in touch with, I'm Facebook friends with. The people that I went to school with that I'm interested in keeping in touch with, I'm Facebook friends with. On and on and on. So, you know what? Maybe it's easy for me to say. But anyway, to bring it all back, though, there was some fucking ramrod. uh, I want to say it was about six months ago or something like that. Reported me to Facebook, right? Basically for using a fake name. You're damn right I'm using a fake name. But anyway, fucking prick. So, Facebook forced me to change my name, right? Now, I wanted to keep the name Trentus Magnus, and I couldn't really think of a good way to do it, right? And so I thought, well, maybe if I just add an extra S to the end of each word, Trentus and Magnus, maybe that would do it. Well, it did it. That did the trick. And so there you have it. And that's that's what I ended up doing. And so I encourage all of you to use fake names and fake information on Facebook. Put as little real information on there as you possibly can. All right? Only the bare minimum. Because, like I said, guys, there's absolutely nothing in it for you except maybe victimization to put real information on there. Now, as I say, we all have our own choices to make in life, all right? And if you don't mind all of that stuff, well, I got, you know, it's not like, I, look, I don't have a problem with you or anything like that, but at least, on, at least on this, I don't relate at all. And so, anyway, but those of you who can, I encourage it, dude. Um, use a fake name. Now, as I said before, Chris Honeywell, he did an episode of uh, Two True Freaks Storytellers about this very same subject uh, a couple of years ago, right? And I only found out about it uh, uh, recently, so it's, uh, it's just another thing he and I have in common. But I encourage all of you to, to, to go and listen to this. It's uh, Two True Freaks Storytellers, entitled... Why I Won't Be Friends on Facebook. And the episode number is 143. Episode number 143. Check it out. Because he pretty much nails down all the reasons why it's really foolish. Not just Facebook, but to use your information, your real information, pretty much anywhere on the internet. It's just not good business. And so he goes into it in a lot better detail than I do here. And he certainly makes a more eloquent case about it than I do. And so I encourage all of you to track that episode down. Again, it's called Two True Freaks. That's uh, obviously Chris's podcast. This is part of the Storyteller series, the title of which is Why I Won't Be Friends on Facebook, and it's episode number 143. Check it out, all right? Because... Guys, he's telling you the absolute fucking truth here, all right? Everything that he says in uh, in that episode, I've had independently verified. Actually, before I, I, I even listened to that episode, I knew for a fact he was telling the truth already. But everything that he says, you can check it out for yourself. This shit's real, all right? Check it out. Um, you're only hurting yourself if you use real information on Facebook. And that is that. So... That's As I say, that's pretty much it for feedback this week. I don't really have any other iTunes reviews or emails to read. So thanks for everybody who did write 
iTunes reviews. I encourage more of them. Keep them coming. And again, the email address is trentusmagnus at gmail.com. That's T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S at gmail.com. There's also a link for it at um, on uh, my page on twotruefreaks.com. Uh, trentusmagnus at gmail.com. That's everything that uh, that's part of every post that I make whenever I put up new episodes. So you can find the link there if you're too lazy to type it. And uh, you can, I think you can also find it on my Facebook group, which is, uh, you find that just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. So that's that. So uh, again, thanks to everyone who uh, took the time to write and submit those uh, iTunes reviews, both of you. Um, the first is UMBC81, and the second is Socrates in Miami. Thank you very much, both of you. Appreciate you taking the time to write. And I think that that pretty much does it for this week. So I'll see each of you uh, next week whenever I, I'm, I think, actually, you know what, for next week, what do I have going on next week? Yeah, I believe this, uh, if all goes according to plan, that should be my Shadows of the Empire episode. So that should be uh, a lot of fun. And also my swan song with uh, Star Wars for a while. So got that coming up. Well, anyway, so, um, so that's it. Bye, everybody, and I'll uh, see you next week. Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks podcast network. You can find the home for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com, which is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can also find it on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-S-M-A-G-N-U-S-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trentusmagnus at gmail.com, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, Please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. 
My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promo section. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy.